Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime. He goes by G-Mart. He goes by Gerard. Sometimes he goes by Gerald, but these days he's known as Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, we got a fun show today. You know, our last couple shows have been a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit downer for some of the USC fans talking about some L's in the recruiting trail. But today we start off with a big win for USC recruiting and a, a little linebacker known as Tackett Curtis went ahead and made his commitment public. We do have an L to talk about on the recruiting trail, but right now the focus will be on Mr. TC Tackett Curtis. Gerard, how you feeling? Finally, a postmortem after a W. A Rizzy dub, baby. SC got a <laughs> Rizzy dub. And not only just SC, but our own Chris Trevino, Mr. 10K. He's going to flex on me, okay? I'm ready for it. I, I'm I don't... ready to take it. I'm ready to make Copa to the masses of Trojan fans that are listening right now that want to say, Gerard, you were wrong. You were wrong. And because you were wrong about Tackett Curtis, it means you're probably wrong about everything going forward in your entire life. And you know what? Okay. I'm willing to admit that I was wrong on Tackett Curtis. He didn't go to Ohio State. He committed to USC. 6'2", 220 pounds, strapping young lad. Benches 315 five times, Chris. Chris, I couldn't bench 315 once in high school. I never broke three. I actually did break 300. I'm telling the line. I actually <laughs> break 300. I went 305, uh, but never uh, five times, never 315. That's some big-time weight he's moving there. Big boy, his dad's a big boy. We saw him on the cart during the elite camp. They were going around touring USC, and we said, "Who's that kid? Is that is that Grant Bucky? That's a big looking dude. He's got his dad looks like he could still play." Driving around with Gavin Morris, it worked, man. It worked. Whatever USC said, whatever USC did on that official visit weekend, it worked. Tackett Curtis, USC Trojan. Couple a couple of things off that that spiel. Number one. You you were about to lie to my face that a man named Hurricane wasn't putting up at least three bills in high school. Gerard, you're a damn fool if you, you thought I was going to believe a man named Hurricane wasn't putting up at least three bills in high school. So that thank you for, for not lying to my face on this podcast. And number two, I don't want to flex on you. I know you even wrote it in our sheet right here as Chris flexes. No, I don't want to flex. I'm just happy. I, I kind of stuck to my gut because – we talk about this all the time in recruiting. Uh, uh, between us, you know, we have these feels sometimes when you're talking to a source or you're talking to a player, you get them after a game, you get them off the record. Sometimes you just get these feels about recruitments. And I just had a USC feeling with Tackett Curtis. And obviously, I know you've mentioned it on the board and I mentioned it too, that I sort of was the point man in this sort of recruitment with, with, with my source. And, you know, there were times I, I kind of doubted myself because, you know, when you're talking to a source, you never really know. Are you getting the full picture? Are you just getting what you know what they want you to hear? So I had to take in that information a little bit. And I hate like for the this isn't me talking to Hurricane. This is me talking to people listening. I do not like going against the king that is Gerard. I don't like going against him because he is the goat to me. And when I go against him with my intel. I always feel like we're button heads there, and I never want to go against him. But sometimes you need that. So I was just going with what my source was saying and what my gut was saying, and I was taking it all in. And 
you know, I've had some L's in the past. Uh, I'm sure people bring up the 90, what was it, 95%. If you know, you know. I've had some L's in the past, but it's nice to get a win. And it's a big one for USC, and we're going to dive into that. But four-star prospect, consensus four-star prospect, number 89 overall in the 24-7 sports composite, number five linebacker in the country, number 121 overall in the 24-7 sports rankings, number seven linebacker. And Gerard, everyone wants to know with TC Tackett Curtis. Okay, well, this is embarrassing because something is wrong with our soundboard. And you know me, I love throwing sounds uh, for our episodes most recently, but I had a soundboard, I had a soundbite, you know, for this moment, the can he play? So I guess I'm just going to have to do it myself. Gerard, can he play? That's what people want to know. He can definitely play. And this is an interesting commitment because, you know, we spoke going into the summer about the three weekends of recruiting, which really for USC were only two weekends of recruiting because the last weekend, June 24th, they didn't really have any official visitors. They had an early midweek visitor, but they didn't use that last week to have a full weekend of official visitors. So there was really two weekends. There was the smaller weekend, initial weekend of June 10th, and then there was the big June 16th, 17th weekend, which had two dozen recruits come in. And we were looking at that, and I felt at that point in time, Curtis was kind of a heat check type of commitment. He was a guy that it's like if USC can get him, then it could be a massive haul during the summer. And it's very interesting because they get him, but then they lose out on some other guys that you would definitely have predicted going into the June that if they get Tackett Curtis, well, they're going to get Lucas Simmons. They're going to probably get Trey Wilson. They're going to get Walker Lyons. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of those other targets later in the podcast. But certainly it's, it's, a, it's a weird one because it definitely, the way things were stacking up, the way momentum looked like it was going, and we talked about this last week, Tackett Curtis is the guy that you would thought, okay, he's going to go to Ohio State. But instead, he sort of changes the narrative. I know a lot of Trojan fans are up in arms about NIL and collectives, but this is a guy that's up there that they beat head-to-head Ohio State and Wisconsin and 40 other schools for him because LSU and Georgia and all those other schools were after him too. But he narrowed down his choices after really the May valuation period that it was going to end up being USC, Wisconsin, or Ohio State. And so it's huge. Like I said, 6'2", 220, strong. He plays single high, free safety at high school. Really, you know, for his high school team, if you watch the film, he plays safety, but he really plays safety almost as a middle linebacker. He's about eight yards off the ball, and he plays in the middle of the field. So basically what his high school team is having him do, the Manny Tigers, they have him just playing a deeper linebacker position, almost like a Tampa two type position. Once you get yeah. into coverage where Tampa two middle linebacker ends up um, to just kind of patrol the, the, the passing game and then be able to run downhill against the run support and in run support, he is sudden, he is violent. He has a ton of big hits. Um, he had something like 103 tackles and yep. uh, 25 tackles for losses. And so you're talking about a guy that can run north and south really well. He gets sideline to sideline very well. Despite playing 
safety, we don't see very much of him in pass coverage, however. So that's a little bit still of a question. But he's a guy that plays safety. So you you feel like athletically, the agility and the awareness in space, he's going to be fine moving up, playing the middle linebacker spot. And this is obviously a very different middle linebacker spot in this scheme with Alex Grinch than it was with Todd Orlando. We've seen the transition uh, already take place where USC wanted to get faster at linebacker. Todd Orlando's defense, they used their linebackers to blitz a lot. That was basically standard run support, pass rush protocol because uh, the defensive linemen were kind of just body catchers. They were used for gap integrity. Uh, They played a little two gap, played a little one gap. But when you're playing the tight front, your linebackers, one of your middle linebackers is going to be blitzing uh, probably every play. And so this is a different, more standard type of defense. Um, the linebackers, from what I've seen from them in terms of flow and read, a little more 4-3-ish actually than 3-4-ish. And so he fits that very well. He could really play Will because he has that athleticism to run down from the backside and, and play out of the off the backfield against a running back. But I think, you know, with his – uh, the intangibles, I think USC really wants him at Mike linebacker. They want him to be sort of that quarterback yeah. of the defense, and he has those things. So um, it's, a, it's a huge get for USC. It's a really good position to get it at. Um, I think that uh, it just be interesting to see how this summer goes. I mean, it, like I said, kind of going back to the initial thought of, okay, if they get Tackett Curtis, this is going to be a huge summer for them. They've obviously missed out on some guys that you thought they were going to get, but they get Tackett Curtis. So it really is a little bit of a curveball in terms of talking about the momentum of the recruiting class and sort of that overall feel of what this does and how this impacts where USC is going to be when they start the season. Absolutely. And I just wanted to give a shout out, I guess, to linebacker coach Brian Odom, who was running point on this recruitment. And I just need to stress that from what I've been told, you know, he was obviously the guy in in getting this recruitment done, and he earned this commitment from Tackett Curtis. He was relentless in recruiting him and his family and, and going out there to Maney as much times as he could. And, you know, he 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 really recruited the heck out of Tackett Curtis, and it kind of felt like, I know we've talked about it, but, you know, linebacker was a need for this class, and maybe a little bit less so after getting, you know, guys like Gentry and Tabarucci out of the portal, it kind of um, alleviated some of those needs for the 2023 cycle to hit a linebacker. But that didn't matter. Tackett Curtis was Brian Odom's guy. He was number one on the board, and they put everything into into reeling him in, which I know, you know, you talk about it. You know, you have your number one guy on the board. Maybe you you neglect maybe some of those, those, those uh, lower-tier guys on your board because you're going all in. We've seen it, uh, obviously, with Lucas Simmons and Francis Mayoga being those two offensive tackle prospects. But, you know, Brian Odom, their gamble paid off and going all in for him, really making him a priority. He loved L.A., even though he's, you know, a a country boy from Louisiana, smart kid, 4.0 GPA. So he's going to fit right in in terms of, you know, the academics of USC. And this is the guy they want to build around. This is their foundation piece for that defense. And they absolutely want him to be that Mike linebacker. And I think he could also play well, but I think. Right now, they want to bring him in and, and play Mike right off the bat. That's what I've been told. So this is a huge one for them. Obviously, it's not an offensive tackle. No, he cannot play left tackle. Do not ask me that. But this is a, uh, a really, I think, could be a special player 
And if you haven't, go watch those highlights. They are so much fun to watch. This guy's a headhunter. I put some out on uh, Twitter a little bit, and he even plays quarterback. We didn't even mention that. There's there's times where he's running sort of like a wildcat wildcat quarterback, and he's got some speed. He's he's got a touch. He's got a uh, punt return in there that's really nice. Uh, so he's got some speed, a lot of athleticism, and I can't wait to see him, you know, out on the field at USC. Yeah, and you know, going back to uh, predictions and whatnot. You had the good source that was outside of that USC bubble, which is always yeah. important. You know, you sort of were the guy uh, that were that was kind of running uh, the Tackett Curtis uh, recruitment, the beat, if you will. And so, yeah, you you had a, a better source on that. Um, and I think for me, it was like, OK, you know, I've, I've, I've heard the good feelings uh, coming from the USC side of things here all summer long. And uh, Ohio State was incredibly confident. I mean, after yeah. that official visit, Ohio State felt like that was a done deal. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, Brian Odom really made this his recruitment. And uh, it, it was interesting watching him at the seven-on-seven tournament at USC because I'm watching him look at Trey Edwards, the uh, linebacker from San Diego who's committed to UCLA. I watched him watching Isaiah Chisholm. And I'm just thinking – you know, what is he thinking right now? You know, because right. he knows that right now, um, you know, Curtis Tackett is is going to be at Ohio State. And uh, there has to be a lot of, you know, questions about, you know, where do we go from here? Because the one interesting thing I thought throughout the summer and even, you know, at the back end of May was that USC really didn't offer a lot more linebackers. And there was not like a lot of movement looking for guys that were potential plan B's. And so you knew that they were confident here you yeah. know? And, and they've been confident in other areas and it hasn't worked out for them. So you can't, you know, necessarily read into that read too much. It's been a real sort of mixed bag so far in terms of that. Uh, but you felt like they were definitely sort of like, this is our guy and we have to see how things play out with him before we start making other moves. And so going forward, you know, I only see USC maybe taking one other linebacker. It's, it's, yeah. it's very hard to project numbers with classes now because you have so many of those transfers and so many of those guys want to be one and done, but don't have to be one and done. You know, some of those guys have two years of eligibility because of the COVID waiver, uh, but they're going to be juniors or seniors. So they potentially could go with a good season. And sometimes guys go and they don't even have a good season. We've seen that at USC um, the past few years where guys jump in uh, as uh, undrafted free agents and try to go the Nikel Roby uh, route, which is usually not successful, but doesn't seem to slow them down nonetheless. Uh, so, I mean, going forward, you know, we've got Isaiah Chisholm, who was there um, at that seven on seven tournament we talked about him uh, last couple weeks and he's a good looking player off the hoof he is a jacked good looking guy as a middle linebacker and um i mean just looking at him move and looking at him play and his stature i'm surprised that he's not a bigger recruit you know i'm surprised that I mean, we're kind of looking at like a an oregon state type thing usc uh, is in there they're communicating with him um, but he's not really even a big time guy for a lot of the West coast teams. Um, so, I mean, I think that's when USC feels like they have a good position with him. And if they really want to press, they could probably get a commitment from him. 
Um, that is, unless he just blows up all of a sudden, man, at the beginning of the season, you never know with something like that. Uh, USC also had David Peavy officially visit that big recruiting weekend of the 6'4", 235-pound linebacker from Lincoln High School in San Diego. He's a three-star. He's a little more of an edge guy, though. And even though he's ranked as a linebacker, USC's talking to him more as a rush in. He's being recruited by Roy Manning. So he's not really technically a linebacker. And that's something else that sort of blurs the line a little bit when we start talking about projecting linebacker commits. Uh, Who is actually a linebacker? Who's looked at as a defensive end, defensive lineman? Um, Trey Wilson was looked at as more of a rush end. Shelby is more of a rush end. So, you know, when it comes to actual linebackers and guys that they're viewing as linebackers, I mean, Chisholm is kind of there. And then you kind of have Victory Johnson is sort of there as well. He did uh, participate as a linebacker at one of the camps, uh, the Rising Stars camp, uh, early in the summer. But to me, projects a bit more as an edge guy as well. But we did see him actually perform uh, as a linebacker. So it'll be interesting to see where they're going forward. Obviously, with Carson uh, Tabarucci, uh, who we like to call Mr. Tabarucci, he is a linebacker that they get out of the porthole, and he's a freshman. He and Tackett Curtis really compare uh, favorably. They, they out of high school, did mo- almost the same thing. I mean, outside yeah. of uh, Carson Tabarachi running the ball as an actual running back, um, they both played safety. They both did not play linebacker. They were not linebackers in high school, and college will be the first time they actually play linebacker. But incredibly versatile, obviously uh, very good in the – intangibles department because you're talking about guys that you know played a little bit of quarterback in high school and and played offense and played special teams and played all over the field and you have to have a good head on your shoulders to be able to do that so a comparison wise yeah there's definitely some comparison there uh usc recruiting a lot of speed but also a lot of versatility at linebacker which is something that i like i said before uh They've sort of gone towards more and more, even when they brought in Todd Orlando. I think that was the difference between Clancy and Todd in terms of what they were looking for for linebackers. Clancy Pendergast looked for a more standard big linebacker um, where, you know, I think Todd Orlando, the the big guys were all in the line of scrimmage. The guys that could move and could get upfield and were quick and were fast, even if you sacrificed. You know, a little bit of a height and, and weight. You know, you went from your guys that are six three, six four to you know, your guys that are like more like six one. That was okay. Uh, he was willing to to to, to you know take a guy like uh, Palaie Yoteote out and put a guy like uh, Raymond Scott in. I did have one sort of like follow up thing in terms of you know the tape that we've seen from Tackett Curtis because this was something that was brought up to me from a high school coach that uh, called me up after. Uh, in the aftermath of uh, Tack and Curtis committing to USC. And we were kind of talking about his, his film and such. And obviously it, it's been brought up multiple times on the board that uh, Manny plays in this this rocky long, you know, 3-3-5. And he's sort of playing this, uh, what is dubbed the, the Lobo position, which was uh, famously uh, played by, uh, played by, Ro- uh, sorry, Rocky Long, Rocky Long. Is that's his scheme. Brian Erlacher is who played this uh, Lobo position, which is sort of that roving uh, defensive back, which you which you uh, sort of uh, mentioned. You know, the main job is to just go over the field and make plays. And this was brought up to me that that position and that and that scheme, uh, it kind of it frees him up to 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 make the plays, make the tackles. But 
the, this, this coach pointed out that he's not really taking on blockers as uh, like a true linebacker would do in a, in a different scheme. So I know that that's something that was brought as maybe like a, hey, this is something, you know, he's going to have to work on. Um, I think that's, you know, I don't think that's necessarily like a huge thing because that's obviously just something you develop him as uh, when he gets to the next level. And obviously that's something he'll have to handle in uh, the Big Ten. He'd be a junior by then, by the time. So I think he'd be, he'd be a junior. Yeah, a junior, I believe. Yes, yes, a, no, sophomore, whatever. He'd be an older player at that time. So I just wanted your thoughts on, on on sort of that critique of the scheme he plays in in terms of his development moving forward. Well, unlike a lot of linebackers that we see, he does have some run fits in his tape where he actually takes on a, a blocker and knocks him on his ass. So, I mean, I see where he squares up quite a bit and he blows up some blocks. And it's again, it's it's sort of that point of contact. He's violent and he's sudden. You know, he doesn't just make big hits on the backs. And I, I'm not sure that he, he doesn't seem to play against really high level of competition. I think it's 2A in Louisiana. So that's yeah. that's not, you know, we're, we, he, he might even see our boy Arch Manning. You know, I mean, the... Uh, School for the Fighting Flat Earthers. They do. Uh, they at, Yeah, they, they play week four. They play week four. They come to Maney for a showdown. Do not run Archmanic. It's, it's pronounced Maney. Maney? Maney? Maney. Okay. I thought it was Manny, but it's Maney. Okay. My, my apologies. I'm going um, to be completely honest. I don't know which one it is. I've been calling it Maney. <laughs> I've been calling it Maney. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's Manny is just, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, um... But yeah, no. In terms of uh, his ability to play north and south, man, it's just just no question about it. I mean, he is a heat-seeking missile, and he definitely has a kamikaze type attitude uh, when it comes to uh, blowing up plays. And whether it's the blocker or it's the actual ball carrier, um, you know, I, I think the question would be more flow and go and shedding blocks and the technique of getting off alignment, which which is a little different. And obviously the bigger bodies that he's going to see at the division one level. And, you know, you end up playing in the horseshoe and you end up playing in Ann Arbor and you get to play some of those teams um, in Wisconsin that have those big bodies at the offensive line. You have to be able to get off those guys too. You know, it's not just about a, a tight end or a running back coming at you and blowing up that block. Um, you're going to have to be able to fit in between uh, some of those big linemen. And so that's going to be, uh, an obvious change for just USC as a football program. It's going to be a change for um, actually, I would say Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley just schematically, but Alex Grinch did spend some time in the big 10. Uh, he was a co-coordinator at Ohio state yeah. for a year. So he does know to some extent what that looks like. And um, you know, I'm sure he has some ideas of what his scheme has to do from an adjustment standpoint to be successful. You know, he was very successful at Washington. Um, one of the few defensive coordinators who's been opposite of a true air raid offense and actually had uh, the strength of the team on the defense. You know, he, he had that defense playing incredibly well uh, those years when he was at Washington state. Um, and then the, you know, year that he goes to Ohio state, he was co-coordinator. So it's kind of hard to, 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 you know, give him credit or, or, or say, you know, how much uh, he was a, a factor um, in that defense, but uh, certainly he was successful there as a part of that staff. And then he goes to Oklahoma, and it was uh, you know sort of a mixed bag a little bit in terms of success. There were some years where uh, they played really bad against big time competition. You know, the, the college football playoff they just 
it, it did. It was not a good look for them. Um, and then there's other years where you know the defense made a lot of plays to to make the offense and give the offense opportunities to score more points. It wasn't necessarily a, a defense that uh, was stout, but it was a defense that um, got turnovers and uh, was was able to make some negative plays and uh, kind of keep the offense in the game if the offense was off. So we kind of have to see, you know, what it's going to look like in a couple of years when they go to the Big Ten. Um, we're going to have to see what that conference looks like in terms of bringing in other programs as well, because those might be the programs that USC ends up seeing more of um, if they have a Western pod, if you will, where, you know, you're still going to have to play some of these teams out West. But we know that the teams in the Big Ten uh, are going to run the ball. And the later you get in the year that you got to play Penn State, you got to play Ohio State, they're going to run the ball more because it's going to be colder and it's going to be harder to be able to throw the ball, you know, 40 times a game, 50 times a game. And so, you know, it's, it's not like those teams don't exist out there. I mean, Purdue's always been a, a pretty pass-happy um, team. You know, Indiana uh, was a, a pretty pass-happy team. Um, I don't know what they're looking like these days, but there are programs – um, you know, even Ohio State that have, that have thrown the ball more over the years. Uh, but, yeah, when, when the snow starts to fall and the wind starts to blow, you know, you, you, you're going to want to run the football. And um, you're going to get a dose of that, and you're going to get teams that are going to do that against USC because I think just at face value, they think that USC is not going to be able to play tough in those type of conditions. And this is sort of the final question that has been surrounding Tackett Curtis and something that I want to get your thoughts on because obviously you have uh, you have a more firsthand knowledge of it but I've seen the comparison thrown out of Brian Cushing or Tackett Curtis the next Brian Cushing and I wanted to get your opinion do their games are comparable do you see that um, I just want to because obviously you were someone who covered Brian Cushing you know you know his recruitment you know you know his play at a high school I know you've been big on the New Jersey and you've mentioned him several times on this show how, you know, Jersey kids love USC and that's been a theme on this show. So I just want to get your thoughts on that, that sort of uh, comparison that's been thrown out a lot on social media and even on the P as well. There's, there's some comparisons there. I think people see maybe, you know, the kick return, um, but Brian Cushing was playing at Bergen Catholic, which is the highest level of competition in New Jersey and he was playing receiver and he was playing safety and he was very productive uh, from that standpoint, um, a bit taller and a bit longer and not a true inside guy. Brian Cushing actually had to play Mike linebacker at the army All American bowl. And he freaking hated it. <laughs> he hated it. He just didn't like it. Just wasn't what he wanted to do. He was an off guy um, wanted to play, you know, will, but had the length that he really ended up playing more of a Sam uh, just to go against longer tight ends and bigger receivers. Um, he was very, very athletic. And, and he was a guy that had not only punt returns and kick returns, he had them for touchdowns. So I don't know if I would necessarily uh, make that comparison. There's some versatility there and there's certainly some comparisons in terms of speed, um, but that's not like the first comparison that jumps out I, I mean I think the Matt Grudegood comparison is a little better because you know Matt kind of did some of those things too he he was a, a little bit more of a running back for modern day and again we're talking about you know competition wise he's playing modern day very high competition and Matt Grudegood was kind of a, a do-it-all type of dude who, who also did a little bit of wildcat and 
Um, but he was a guy that, you know, kind of almost made his name at the high school level playing running back to some extent. Uh, and then, you know, as time went on, it was like, well, he plays safety. He's not fast enough to play safety in college, but he's not big enough to play linebacker. So a lot of people really wanted to know, like, where is he going to play? You don't have that question with Tackett Curtis because he's got the size. He's a legitimate 6'2", 220-plus pounds. Um, but in terms of, like, the play style and what you actually see on film and what he's able to do, I think he's actually a little more in line with Matt Grudegood. Um, okay. Now, somebody mentioned Keith Rivers as well. There's probably a, a bunch of different linebackers that you could look at. I don't know if there's just like a single guy. Obviously, obviously other than Carson Tabarachi. I mean, that really – those two films are pretty similar just in terms of uh, what they do and in, in, in terms of their their build. Um, I think with uh, with Carson, he's, he's not as violent at, at point of attack as uh as tacky is I, I think that's the one thing that jumps out on film um is just the suddenness and the quickness um and uh being able to get the line of scrimmage in a hurry where you know we're, we're kind of looking at Carson Tabarachi a lot with his offensive skill and, and again what he's doing on the offensive side of the ball and sort of how that translates to playing linebacker uh, because we've seen with other players in the past the one guy that always jumps out is Lofa Tatupu because Lofa Tatupu was playing quarterback uh, for the majority of his career in football, went to Maine and then decided, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to play linebacker and I'm going to transfer to USC. But he was so smart. He was so aware and he had the athleticism, but more than anything, he had the instincts and the eyes and the understanding of the game, which really helped him. And, and he was a little bigger than Matt Grudegood. And he was faster. And so he kind of had some of the things that Matt had that made Matt such a great player at the college level. But, you know, the NFL, you you got to have certain uh, tangibles. You have, have to have certain measurements. And Lofa was able to just squeak underneath that. And he was able to, you know, have a, a, a decent career in the NFL. Um, but um, there's there's maybe a little, little comparison there. Uh, as well with Tackett Curtis. Um, so, you know, I don't know if, if there's a guy that's like a, a dead ringer. Obviously, I mean, Carson just sort of jumps out just because USC, uh, you know, just had him transfer in. And if you watch the film in terms of what he does on film for his high school football team, um, there's just a lot of similarities there. Uh, but if, in terms of, you know, past Trojans, uh, there's there's probably a few guys there. I haven't really kind of gone through the rosters and the list to try to find that, you know, that one comparison. Um, it, it might be there. There might be some other guys. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a little bit of Grudegood there. I think maybe more so than Brian Cushing, uh, maybe a little Lofa Tatupu there. Um, those guys that, uh, while undersized, um, just saw the, the play well. They had good eyes and they attacked well. Um, those guys, like I said, though, a little smaller than Taka Curtis. So that's where you get a little bit of that advantage and probably a higher ceiling in terms of ultimate potential for the NFL, because six, two is, you know, perfect height there for the NFL. Before we move on from the Tackett Curtis cold open, I just want to apologize to any Peristyle members on Monday. I put out that he was committing at 1 PM central time. I meant Pacific time. And I know that caused a little bit of a stir because 11, yeah, 11 a.m. came on, on the West Coast, and a lot of people were like, what's happening? What's happening? He said 1 p.m. 
Central Time. I My mistake, I meant Pacific Time, CT Time. I'm always on Chris Trevino Time. I was going back and forth with Gerard. I was texting my source. I just got on the time, and I was still in the frame of mind of CT. So I apologize for for causing a little bit of a of a, a panic on the P, which is, you know, that's just another day on the peristyle uh, Chris, for our members. Chris, you're yes. fired. Okay. I will wrap up this podcast right now. I am I am fired. Uh, but before I am fired, let's talk a little bit about Trey Wilson, a three-star defensive lineman out of Texas. He was down. Our feeling was Baylor, obviously, which was a big, big leader in this one, and USC. Loved his USC official visit. But Baylor was always still looming. That was going to be sort of the real test to overcome was that visit, which was last. And he ended up making his commitment to the Bears and Dave Aranda. And good get for them. And I know you have mentioned this uh, several times, how the Trey Wilson uh, recruitment is an interesting one uh, in terms of USC's success for the summer. It tells, a, it tells us a lot about USC's recruiting efforts in the summer. Well, let's just say this. The emoji game is a little hit and miss right now. <laughs> uh, if if you, again, going back to the beginning of summer, would have told me, or, or let's say this, after the big official weekend, where you had uh, the emojis go out, and you know we had a lot of sources that were very optimistic about USC getting a handful of commitments the following weeks, I'd spoke to Trey Wilson. I spoke to him twice. Um, and uh, I spoke to him, you know, right after the official visit. And I spoke to him later in the week. And I think USC really didn't want him to take that official visit to Baylor because they knew there was probably a little bit of push from the family to, to maybe look at Baylor and, and, and to stay close to home. Trey Wilson was pretty outspoken about, hey, you know what, this is my decision. They're going to let me make my decision. And he was committed to USC after that official visit. He was sold on USC. But, you know, you say, well, how sold can you be when you're still going to take another official visit to another school in a school that's a home school that, you know, clearly you have some interest in. So, you know, that's sort of when the talk of silent verbals and emojis and everything kind of goes out the window because, um, you know, if you're still entertaining interest from other schools, then you cannot be 100% sold on a school and thus cannot be a true commitment. And this goes even with Dalen Austin and him committing to LSU, uh, the cornerback four-star at Long Beach Poly, and then at the same time as committing, saying, but I'm taking all my official visits and taking an official visit to Michigan State over the summer. It just tells you that that's not really a commitment. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we had this debate as to, you know, what what are commitments? What are verbal commitments anymore? You know, what do they mean? Should we even call them commitments when these kids say they're still going to take official visits? And I had one coach tell me and say, you know what? Industry wise, you guys should be calling these reservations. You should have a distinction between a verbal commitment and a reserve commitment which is basically a kid saying, yeah, I'm putting my foot in the door. I want to be a part of this class. I'm not 100% sure, but I want to have a spot in the class. 
just in case something happens during my senior year, maybe I get hurt and all these other scholarship offers and opportunities dry up. And that's kind of sort of where we are with this. And so Trey Wilson, 100%, I would have said, going to USC after his official visit to USC, uh, but certainly after that Baylor official visit, we saw a lot of confidence coming out of Waco that Baylor was basically able to flip him. Uh, even though he never went public, never said anything about committing to USC publicly, uh, that was definitely a guy that I would have picked going to USC uh, over Tackett Curtis. Uh, and again, Lucas Simmons, probably similar. Not to that extent. I don't think Lucas Simmons was ever an emoji guy, but I think you know, just looking at on paper the checklist of what he was looking for in schools, I would have definitely said that's a guy that's probably going to commit to USC over the summer or a guy that I would say USC has a better chance at than Tackett Curtis. So it really throws you for a complete loop trying to project, you know, what these kids actually do. And um, I think from this point forward, you know, we just have to sort of go with the flow and and see who commits and who doesn't. I I don't know that there's a whole lot of uh, real accurate forecasting that can go on. Um, obviously people are going to try to connect dots with the big official weekend. And we've talked about that. Hey, you know, we talked about that well before the big official weekend, the, 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 the strategy and the upside and downside to how that weekend might play out. Now we don't know how that weekend is completely played out. You know, we have some initial findings. We have some initial, uh, results. But we kind of need to see how that plays out a little more before I think we can make some sweeping uh, criticisms or uh, evaluations of that weekend. And those will only be initial initial evaluations as well, because, you know, again, signing day is in, in December and we just kind of have to see how things play out towards them. But certainly I think, you know, this is a leg of the recruiting process that we're going through right now. It basically ends at the start of the season. So we kind of have to still see what goes on. Um, you have uh, Warren Roberson, uh, the safety out of Red Oak, Texas. It's still uncommitted. Um, you know, Braylon Shelby, USC is his top two. Uh, we're going to see him commit probably here uh, in the next month or so. Uh, Alani Noah, the big offensive guard uh, from up north in Sac- uh, Sacramento. He's a three-star. Took that official visit to Oregon after he officially visited USC kind of thought Oregon might be out of it for him, but he still takes that official visit. Micah Benuelos is going to commit uh, July 25th. That seems to be it's an Oregon-USC deal. And then Walker Lyons, uh, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit, um, is going to commit before the start of the season. And so that's sort of the group from that big official visit weekend, and we kind of have to see how this plays out a little more before I think we take a step back and say, oh, wait, this is the initial evaluation of that weekend and whether, you know, that strategy worked for USC or it didn't. Yes. I smell a future cold open debating the big weekend versus the small weekend. And I just want to point out small weekend is perfect. Four for four. Tobias Raymond, Tackett Curtis, Kate Eldridge and Grant Bucky. All USC was able to close on all of them and four for four for that weekend And that's obviously going to be a talking point when we do get into a deeper discussion about the big weekend versus the more small, intimate weekend. And as we've mentioned several times, Tackett Curtis, 
wanted to go – he moved his visit from the smaller one – or sorry, from the bigger one to the smaller one because he wanted that more intimate experience. And as you're, you're right, Gerard, we do have some only some of the results. That we need a full scope of results to really do a breakdown of that and kind of see was it a success, was it a failure – Early return, say, small weekend, obviously are a success right now, just being four for four in that perfect mark. And you mentioned Walker Lions, and I think it's time we should just jump right into that since we were talking about emojis and, you know, him and Walker Lions, or Trey Wilson and Walker Lions were on that same visit together. And the update being Walker Lions has received a crystal ball to Stanford from Brandon Huffman. Obviously, Walker is a NorCal guy. USC is going to probably try to bring in a sizable tight end class and they already have Kate Eldridge in the fold. Juice Robinson also are obviously has some uh USC crystal balls to his name, but it was it was looking like USC was going to be in position to take all three of those guys, including Walker, because Walker is obviously going on a Mormon mission. That that's it that's in his plan. So he wouldn't even really be counting towards the twenty twenty three cycle, hence why you want to bring in a guy like Cade and you know help with that depth and we've talked about deuce you know probably being you know possibly being an mlb draft pick or going the baseball route over football so you need a little bit of that insurance to someone who can play for you next season so walker lines to stanford that's uh that's an interesting one that came out this week yeah and you know it's low confidence and i actually haven't talked to huff about that yet but it was another one where you kind of wondered, okay, is he going to take that official visit to Stanford or is he going to shut it down? And he took that official visit to Stanford. I believe he was just recently admitted to Stanford. Yes. And so, you know, head to head still, though, people at USC are like, well, if he goes to Stanford, the education can't blame him. But listen, I mean, USC beat out Stanford for Miller Moss. USC's beat out Stanford for plenty of football players. I, I don't think that. Um, that's something that is uh, unwinnable for USC. And I think certainly there was a lot of confidence coming out of that visit weekend that Walker Lyons was going to be a part of that class, checking all the boxes. He was another guy where USC checked all the boxes. So, again, you know, we talk about reads and we talk about, you know, the recruitment off of reads, et cetera. It's just going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, he's locked in and it's a done deal for Stanford. Uh, it's just interesting that that's sort of uh, the buzz right now. And, um, you know, USC, I think from that standpoint, if there was a position where it looked like they could really stack the deck, it was tied in. Not to say that they can't still do that, um, but, uh, you know, Walker Lyons was going to be a big part of that, I think. And, you know, going back to, to Tackett Curtis for a second, the, the flip side of that also is Ohio State and the weekend he visited Ohio State and how many guys they had on campus that weekend. Now, Ohio State had two pretty big official visit weekends. So the 17th was, was, was pretty big for them. That's when they had Brandon Enos come in and he committed to Ohio State. Um, and then the 24th, they had, I, I think, 14 guys come in. So I think it was like a dozen guys came in for that 17th week. And then in the 24th, they had like 14 guys come in. And, um, It'll be interesting to evaluate how Ohio State did in that weekend as well, which early returns for them is that it's 
really been a bit of a failure that that weekend for whatever reason has not gone well. And Tackett Curtis said after that official visit, he gave the visit a 10 out of 10. So again, sort of what we have gotten in terms of the reviews of the golden hour, the big official visit weekend for USC, they were phenomenal reviews. They were above and beyond. I mean, we get good reviews about weekends and recruiting all the time, but when you get, you know, words like mind blowing and I'm speechless and I, I really can't put into words how amazing it was. Uh, you know, you feel like, okay, I mean, this really went well, but again, we'll get into trying to dissect that weekend and what happened and maybe what didn't happen. Um, you know, when we get a little further away from it, from a result standpoint, you know, we do still need to hear from Alani Noah, from Walker Lyons, from Braylon Shelby and Warren Roberson. Uh, we've heard now from Trey Wilson and, uh, you know, Lucas Simmons, uh, Francis Malgoa. I, I would say, though, out of that group, certainly um, Trey Wilson is the one that uh, is is the one that got away, I think, uh, as far as uh, what USC felt like coming away from the visit confidence wise. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, and not to depart, you know, talking about uh, Walker Lyons and again, jumping back to talking about Trey Wilson. I mean, if you get Braylon Shelby, then you don't worry about missing out on Trey Wilson. Like those two guys are, are basically coming into the same position and Braylon Shelby is the better player of the two. He, he's got the bit, no more of the size. Um, they were talking about Trey Wilson, maybe playing like a five technique and what have you. He's not a huge guy. He's, he's about 230, 235. Um, Braylon Shelby's a guy that could end up putting on a lot more weight and, and being more of a, of a true defensive lineman if, if you need him to be that guy. He's a little longer. Um, he's definitely got the more upside. Uh, I think you've seen that with the rankings. Uh, he shot up there because if you watch his film, he, he's definitely a bit more of uh, a weapon uh, from that hybrid standpoint of a rush end maybe a little bit, you know, could stand up as an outside linebacker in certain situations or potentially grow and, and put him down um, in the, as a five technique type guy, or maybe even a three technique. If he, you know, puts on that much weight, I don't know if you want to put that much weight on him, but um, nevertheless, yeah, you know, it, it, it could still sort of zigzag right back into USC's lap. I mean, you get Roberson, you get Shelby and you're getting Noah, um, and maybe Banuelos. I mean, you know, there's still too many guys out there and it's been too unpredictable. It's just been too unpredictable. I mean, I think that's the grand over uh, arching point here is the fact that, you know, Trey Wilson goes to Baylor and Tackett Curtis goes to USC. That would have not been a prediction of mine or probably anybody else's after that big official visit weekend. And speaking of tight ends and hybrid edge rushers, defensive linemen. We did get a five-star Nicholas Harbor DMV uh, centrified update uh, this weekend from Brian Doan, our national recruiting guy out there. So, you know, it's been a super busy off season for Nicholas Harbor and his uh, track and field aspirations. You know, obviously he is a phenom in both football and on the track uh, circle. I could just call it the track, right? I was thinking of like, what's the gridiron for track? It's just track, right? Track and field. Um, I'm <laughs> blanking on what 
the actual surface they run on. I know what it's called, but I, <laughs> I'm blanking on what it's called. You could call it that, but uh, I can't remember the name of it. So I would just say, um, yeah, the, well, the we, track. We, well, I fumbled the bag. I'm sorry. We both fumbled it, and I set it up for you to fumble it as well. I thought I thought you had it. I, I, I didn't have confidence in it, but whatever it is called, you know, is aspirations on that surface. Uh, not much. There's uh, there's not much USC centered for it, but he has discussed, you know, maybe taking some visits to Miami, you know, Maryland, South Carolina. But there's a bunch of schools still uh, involved within that that top seven that he has. Michigan, obviously, USC, Miami, Maryland, Georgia, LSU and South Carolina. I think there is a LSU official visit is the only one that's been scheduled for for in season. And it sounds like the rest of those visits are going to come in season, given how busy his schedule is. And I think just, that just says how important it was for USC to get an unofficial visit, just because he hasn't had the time to get in official, unofficial visits or even official visits uh, this spring and summer. So I think that was key you know, to getting on campus. He has a early sort of leg up in sort of understanding what USC is about. Obviously, he had that prior connection with Lincoln Riley and that staff when he was at Oklahoma. He had an Oklahoma crystal ball at one point. So he already has the familiarity. So it is a nice little bump up to have gotten a key unofficial visit uh, during the spring. Now, moving forward, you know, USC has a a long list of competitors to try to lock in one of those official visits, four official visits left. And, you know, Gerard, we can kind of talk about this if you want, but I, you know, I kind of feel like USC is in a good position to get one of those. Obviously, he's in the DMV. It makes sense to spend an official visit on a place that's far away and, you know, a place that's a trip that's going to be paid for. And what's what's the furthest place on there? USC. And obviously, USC has the Big Ten move to their advantage. You know, hey, we're going to play a Big Ten schedule. You don't have to go all the way out to watch us play Wazoo or or Stanford. Well, maybe Stanford in, in some sort of Big Ten alignment thing. But that's beside the point. You don't have to come all the way out to the West Coast to see that, you know, we're going to be able to, you know, play at Ohio State, play at Illinois, play at Rutgers, play at Maryland right there at the uh, at Bird Stadium. So there is a selling point within this Big Ten move for Nicholas Harbor and his camp. And I thought an interesting uh update from that story is that sort of the track coaches are the ones that are actually recruiting him the hardest, which, you know, kind of makes sense. We've talked about maybe he doesn't even play football. Maybe track is his future and that's where it's going to end up focusing all of his attention. And obviously USC has a really good track program, a, a top, I believe top five in terms of, you know, their, their pedigree. And so I think with Lincoln Riley and that football staff recruiting, and USC's track staff recruiting, I think they are a a formidable foe in this recruitment. Yeah, and you kind of hit on most of the talking points when it comes to Harbor. Um, I do agree, you know, that Big Ten move is something that USC can sell. Uh, they could be playing in Maryland, you know, during uh, the season. And uh, I think that is definitely helpful in his recruitment. The one school that he's got an official visit set to is LSU. So that's always something that you have to kind of look at and acknowledge what are the schools that he's really thinking about visiting. Um, So LSU's locked in there. He's probably going to take 
uh, a few official visits during the fall. You know, he's talked about Michigan. He's talked about uh, Miami. And he's talked about South Carolina. He was going to take an official visit to Miami uh, during the summer, but had track come up and had an event that he went to instead. So track is is a big deal for him. And uh, it's one of those things that um, I don't know if I want to overemphasize it because, you know, there have been very good track athletes, um, just like there have been very good students that have decided to go against the wind and go somewhere else. I mean, I remember when Myron Roll, a former five-star safety out of New Jersey, picked Florida State over Notre Dame, and nobody really could understand it. He wanted to be a Rhodes Scholar, and he picked Florida State, which, you know, not necessarily known uh, for its uh, prestige academically. Um, it happens. So uh, you don't want to get too caught up in the track. I mean, if, if he wants to run track, it might be just professionally – and that might be, you know, it. And then right. it's like, if I'm going to college, then I'm going to go and play football and football becomes, you know, the main factor there. So, yeah, you know, South Carolina had Jadavion Clowney and he was a guy that, uh, you know, ran 10-4 at uh, 6'5", 265. He was a real physical freak. And so they've been working to try to get him down there for an unofficial visit this summer. Uh, we'll see if he makes that. Um, but USC hasn't really gotten any clear indication of an official visit set up yet. He's kind of uh, not really talked about that. Uh, he, he's talked about the probability um, when we talked to him when he was out here of coming back out. And he seemed like, you know, USC was definitely in the mix for an official visit. But we haven't had any dates thrown around yet. And um, I would say that, you know, for USC, they would want it, you know, later in the season. That's Definitely going to be the benefit of USC. Um, he has a top seven, and that top seven is Michigan, USC, Miami, Maryland, Georgia, LSU, and South Carolina. So two of those schools are not going to get official visits. Yeah, and I just want to also point out that at one point during the spring that USC and Michigan were sort of his unofficial top two schools. That was something that was mentioned in his um, – that documentary, that kind of that that documentary series that was produced for him, you know, at the end it was like USC and Michigan are his, you know, kind of like unofficial top two schools. So I think that obviously helps the argument for for the Trojans and getting an official visit. And Michigan has come up a lot, so I think they're in really strong position to also get one of those coveted official visits as well. The question is going to be, and. When we spoke to him during the spring after his uh, unofficial visit to USC, it seemed like he was leaning more towards playing offense, uh, being a sort of hybrid tight end wide receiver. And certainly talking to sources that have seen him play in person and people out in the West or the East Coast, the big question is, can he catch the ball? Can, can he be that guy? I mean, how good of a football player is he? Because when you get to that sort of conversation as to like, where does he fit in? Um, you can be a little more of an athlete and not necessarily a great football player and still be disruptive on defense, uh, especially as an edge rusher. But when it comes to being a, an actual receiver, I mean, you got to run routes, you got to catch the football. And some guys are just not natural pass catchers. So that's, that's still a question about him. There's still definitely questions about him, even though he's a five-star and he's, uh, you know, rated the number one athlete in the nation. There's still definitely questions about him. It's just that 
his athleticism is so through the roof. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's running 10-2 at 235 pounds, almost 240 pounds. And that's just, that's incredible. Again, you know, Jadavion Clowney was a, a legitimate 10-4 guy um, at 265. So there's some similarities there in terms of just outrageous athleticism at that size. And Harbor, you sort of think, can, can easily put on that weight, you know, because he's been running track so much that, you know, once he goes – and gets into a real college football weight training program that, yeah, he, he's going to be able to play at 240, 250 pretty easily. And at that point it's, you know, is he coming in to be more of a hybrid rusher or is he coming in to be more of a tight end wide receiver? And so, you know, now five stars uh, are, is impactful um, depending on what school they pick. You know, we've talked about this before. You can have a five-star go to a school and the way he fits into that scheme, he's really more of a four-star. Or you could have a four-star go to a school, and the way he fits into the scheme and everything lines up for him, he's as impactful as any five-star you're going to sign. So it definitely depends on where the kids go and how they fit in as to how much production you're going to see from them. And I think this is a good time to kind of transition from speed on speed because we did have a update for USC five-star Wide receiver commit Zachariah Branch, who was out at the Future 50 out in Florida. Uh, there were a couple of guys out there. Malachi Nelson was obviously out there as well. Makai Lemon was also out there. So USC's top three commitments were all there competing at the Future 50. And Branch kind of had the quote-unquote alpha dog performance. He was sort of an MVP out there, making a lot of great catches, showcasing that speed, that elusiveness uh, out there at that competition. And But the big thing, you know, over this uh, summer has been Zachariah Branch took an official visit to Texas A&M. And obviously Texas A&M put on a historic recruiting class last year. So a lot of people on the Peristyle super worried about one of their commits, you know, going out there to Aggieland and to see what they have to offer. And, you know, he had a great visit, but the latest update has been that, you know, looking like he's not going to be taking any more official visits. Now kind of turning his attention, going back to being a recruiter for USC. Uh, there are schools obviously still hitting him up. Alabama, Texas, Oregon are schools that are trying to get him on campus for an official visit. He said, you know, as of right now, I don't feel like I'm going to take any more official visits. Depends if I have a free weekend. But, you know, I think this would. Uh, what do you think, Gerard? Will this sort of uh, quell some of the panic or the fear among USC fans for Zachariah Branch and his commitment? It depends on whether he pops up at their pool party later this month or not. If he uh, doesn't end up there and we don't expect him right now to, then all is good. And I think uh, Trojan fans are, are feeling good about the strength of his commitment. Um, but, you know, he can still pop up at places unofficially. You know, we can use a little semantics there and say, I'm not taking any more official visits, but ends up somewhere unofficially. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but certainly, you know, he's been talking the talk and, and, and been very plugged in with the recruiting efforts at USC and um, is a guy that, you know, certainly A&M, they're using the Christian Kurt sort of angle, even though that wasn't a Jimbo Fisher team. Um, you know, you kind of go with what you got. And uh, traditionally, uh, that's kind of the guy uh, most recently that you could compare Zachariah Branch to. Um, from a, you know, small explosive receiver standpoint. Um, but USC, you know, that's where they're sort of going more and more uh, towards their receiving core. 
what it looks like. It's definitely gotten faster. Again, you know, it's interesting to transition away from the former regime into this regime because there really was uh, a bit of a transition um, with that staff already sort of having to change uh, some of the body types for their scheme. And I think that has benefited Lincoln Riley quite a bit because you had Graham Harrell there and Graham Harrell wanted to go with smaller receivers. And you could see immediately they started recruiting smaller receivers the the big six, four, six, five receivers, there just weren't a whole lot on the board. And so, you know, that's been a continuation to some extent. We'll see how that works um, going forward with Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, USC has been known for having success with bigger receivers. I think that uh, the feeling has always been, you know, bigger receivers, obviously they're big and they're a mismatch for a lot of cornerbacks, but they also help you in the run game. Um, so uh, having smaller receivers, sometimes that's a, a little bit of a problem, uh, being able to put a body on a body and, and just block downfield for your running backs. So you don't have as many big uh, runs because, you know, the secondary, uh, the, there's just not as much blocking. But at the same time, I will say one of the best blockers that USC has had uh, when it comes to the run game at wide receiver over the years was Robert Woods and Robert Woods, you know, was six foot six one. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he was one of the most tenacious best run blockers USC has had another guy. I'm on Ross St. Brown, one of the most tenacious, really fundamentally sound run blockers that USC has had in recent years. So those weren't big guys. They weren't big receivers and they were still able to be very productive in the run game. And, um, you know, obviously, if you got a guy like Drake Jackson, he's going to destroy defensive backs with his size. But you can have guys that could stock block um, that are smaller. They're still good at run blocking. Um, so that's, you know, kind of an interesting side note as to what USC is looking at in terms of the body types at wide receiver. They have offered Malachi Coleman uh, out of Nebraska, and he, he's a bigger receiver at 6'5". Um, he's going to officially visit USC in September. So we'll see if they're able to kind of change it up. I mean, obviously. They've, uh, you know, initially lost out for DeAndre Moore, who's a six foot wide receivers going to St. John Bosco now committed to Louisville. Um, they've lost out on Brandon Enos, who's, uh, you know, like 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, uh, probably a 195, 200 pounds. He's, he's a very stocky uh, type of wide receiver, a guy that, um, you know, I, I thought that uh, it was an interesting uh, evaluation point uh, that, that, that I was, you know, kind of thinking as well. Uh, Jared Perez, our, our intern, we were at that pylon. Uh, tournament and we're watching Brandon Enos and that's the first time I've seen Brandon Enos play in person and he said what I was thinking out loud he looks more like a running back than he does a wide receiver and that's true uh very stocky player Brandon Enos and USC may continue to recruit him they, they may continue to push for him and have a potential at bringing him in for an official visit later in the year you know we just don't know how that's going to all play out um but you know, certainly with uh, Malachi Coleman, that's a bit more of a change up there when you've got Makai Lemon and you've got uh, Zach Branch committed who, who are a little smaller um, to have a bigger receiver. And I, I think, you know, that's always a nice thing to have is, is a sort of a mix of body types on your depth chart because it does allow you to do different things. Um, so we'll see, you know, how that goes uh, with Malachi Coleman going forward really a guy that just got offered there at the end of the main evaluation period. So it's really hard to know, you know, what kind of chance USC has at him until he can actually get on campus and um, get to LA. You know, he's from, I think Lincoln, Nebraska. So, I mean, he is a Lincoln, Nebraska hometown boy, but Hey, once again, big 10 move kind of helps.
There you go. Gerard, Hurricane, I think that's a good place to take our break for the show. We're going to come back and talk about a controversial best high school players ever ranking that I'm sure you have some thoughts on. We have some 24-7 sports top 247 rankings updates, which also will be controversial in their own right. And then we got a handful of questions to get through. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. I don't know if I fix the uh, soundboard, so you may or may not hear the classic megaphone break. But if not, I apologize. This is a technical difficulty show, so we'll be right back after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hurricane, two points. One, as always, how was your break? And two, a soundboard works again. Great and greater. Yeah, so I can finally, what I was trying to do earlier was, oh, now it's not working? Okay, this is ridiculous. I, I'm over this. <laughs> I'm over this. Maybe I, It's just trolling me now. This is, this is ridiculous. I'm over it. We're just going to move on to the next thing, which is this list that 247, uh, published of the best high school players ever rankings. And these are not like a list debated off high school stats or anything or anything like that. This is sort of a list based off the all-time recruiting rankings of the 24-7 composite. And obviously that goes back a long time. Uh, going back to 2000, I believe, is the, is the earliest uh, name you'll find on here. Up, up into the 2022 and the 2023 classes. Now, Gerard, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. So you you know these guys. You covered some of these guys personally. You've interviewed these guys personally on the phone or through a dial-up connection, whatever that may have been. Um, and I want to go through some of these guys that are, you know, relevant to USC fans and names that you're going to take these guys back. And I'm sure you have stories for all these guys. I'm sure all the uh, the OG recruiting fans are going to curl up to this segment as you drop some some throwback knowledge on some of these guys. But I know you have some issues with this list, and I know a, U- a lot of USC fans probably have issues with this list. Because, number one, there's no Reggie Bush, Gerard. No Reggie Bush on this list. Well, one of the first things to preface this, which we don't know, is from a composite standpoint, whether – 24-7 did sort of like a retro uh, rankings and interjected their own rankings retroactively into the composite because a good deal of these players were ranked in around before 24-7 sports was even a network. <laughs> Back when uh, Joe McKnight and Adrian Peterson and names like that were recruits, 24-7 didn't exist. It was rivals and it was scout. ESPN, to some extent, was around. I don't think that a lot of people really uh, respected their rankings. I mean, I I guess you could probably even say that today. Um, But from a standpoint of publications, 
you know, Super Prep, Prep Star, some of those other older publications were more highly respected and credible at that point in time. So I don't necessarily know from a composite standpoint what they're actually grabbing in terms of rankings and calculating together. Reggie Bush was a five star um, from most publications that I know of. From what I remember, Reggie Bush was a five star with Scout and a five star with Rivals. Uh, I'm not sure with ESPN, maybe they had him as a low four star. Who knows if they even really had seen him play in person at that point. Knowing ESPN, probably not. Um, but dirt, certainly for Trojan fans, he was a big recruit. And that was a big recruitment. Um, it wasn't quite the benchmark that built the program for Pete Carroll uh, like Sean Cody was. Sean Cody was sort of that, uh, that, uh, that lead brick. Um, in the wall to kind of, uh, you know, change, I think, the narrative of recruiting for USC and all the top players leaving Southern California, uh, going out of state to go play. Uh, but nevertheless, Reggie Bush was uh, a, a big time recruit and certainly someone that I think should have been on this list. Absolutely. It's uh, what many would consider maybe one of the greatest college running backs of all time. So I know a lot of people see the no Reggie Bush. The whole list doesn't make sense to them. So, you know, moving on, you got a couple of quarterbacks at number 49, Mark Sanchez and Jimmy Clausen. And I just want to add, we were talking about this before we started recording, how I used to go to Rivals.com and devour like recruiting uh, magazines all the time. And I still remember vividly that that magazine with Jimmy Clausen on the cover with the football and you know there are some names that just like trigger my my time and my love affair of recruiting early on when I was in you know junior high middle school that kind of era and you mentioned one Myron Roll I still ha- I still remember that that cover with him I don't know exactly know what the magazine was but I remember that 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 profile of his face I know probably a lot of people know what I'm talking about but I remember that one I remember the Jizzy, Jimmy Clausen and there's just sometimes there's just these names that sort of spark this memory i think like the most random one in my head and i'm I'm curious to see if you even remember this person's name it was a quarterback i believe it was a five-star prospect uh willie corn yeah Which yeah Clemson? yeah yeah out of south carolina i believe that's just a random name that has stuck with me for all this time so i have random names like that stuck in my head and jimmy clausen is definitely one of them obviously his, his recruitment was a, a lot more high profile but Mark, uh, Mark Sanchez, Jimmy Clausen, both there tied at 49 on this list. Yeah, and I think, you know, Mark Sanchez, while he was one of the top players nationally uh, and a five-star quarterback at a Mission Viejo, everybody loved him. His recruitment was not nearly as crazy as Jimmy Clausen's. Uh, Jimmy Clausen was on the map very early on because Casey was a big-time quarterback at Tennessee and Rick had gone to LSU and played. So the Clawson family was sort of a known family uh, when it came to recruiting and it came to producing top quarterbacks. And the funny thing about Jimmy Clawson and that recruitment, that's actually, and I've probably mentioned this before on podcasts where the Gerald name comes from oh. because Jimmy Clawson's dad, Jim Clawson senior <clears throat> used to refer to me often uh, as Gerald Martinez. And it was Rick Kimbrell who was 
the West recruiting analyst for Rivals at the time, who was pretty close to Jim, uh, myself and uh, Greg Lackey, who used to run uh, Rivals video department, we were at a Saugus passing tournament. And back then, Saugus passing tournament was one of the biggest passing tournaments uh, in Southern California. Uh, it was Saugus under the lights. So it would be, you know, the, the, the heat of the day. And then you would get the night. And it was, uh, I mean, there was a bunch of teams out there, way out there in Saugus, you know, right at the foot of Magic Mountain. And um, Oaks Christian was playing. And uh, Jimmy had really not done a whole lot of media. You know, he kind of stayed off the radar to some extent. He was hard to get a hold of. And, um, you know, Greg Lackey wanted to get a one-on-one video interview with Jimmy Clausen on film. And so uh, Rick was not at that event, but I was at the event. And I talked to Jim Clausen Sr. several times on the phone. And we had really good conversations. And so, you know, I, I, I went over and, um, you know, they were playing and they were beating the team the, pretty badly. So it was kind of towards the end of the game. And I was like, all right, let's get headed over there. Because Jim Clausen Sr. was sitting in the lawn chair in the end zone. And so he's sitting there and we get about 20 yards from him and he starts talking, you know, I don't think anybody really wants to talk about Jimmy Clausen right now. I know I don't, I know he needs to get his shit together and that he's got to start playing better. And he starts to get focused before he starts doing any media. I know that nobody really wants to come over here and start talking to me right now about Jimmy Clausen <laughs> and, and, wow. Greg and myself stopped dead in our tracks. Like, <laughs> Oh, well, I guess you don't really want to talk to us. But of course, I was persistent. And um, I said, hey, I told Greg, I said, hey, just chill back for a second here. Because Greg, you know, walking over with his video camera and everything. And he's just used to people fawning over him to get on video. Right. And that's just not the way, you know, Jimmy and, and Jim and the Claussons worked. And so, you know, I I, I introduced myself and said, you know, Jim, I, I've never met you in person. And I apologize. You know, I, I didn't I want to. Uh, you know, putting you on the spot or anything, but, you know, uh, they just, uh, you know, rivals wanted to get uh, Jimmy on, on camera and, and talk a little bit about everything. And, he, he, you know, he discussed how the process was sort of getting away from him a little bit. I, I think the hype and everything going on, he was not committed to Notre Dame at that point. And so it was just one of those things that he was like frustrated and I think a little annoyed. And he, just, he didn't like even how Jimmy, I think, was handling the process to some extent. And so we, uh, we come away from that. And um, we did not interview him that night. The next day, he came over and said, hey, you know, you want to talk to, to, to Jimmy? Uh, we'll set it up, um, you know, in a, in a couple games here. They got a break. And we ended up getting uh, that video interview. So, you know, we cut to like a week later or what have you. And, you know, Jim Clausen is having this conversation with Rick Kimbrell. And he's talking about how much he likes Gerald Martinez. And he goes on and on about Gerald Martinez and how he liked him so much and how he was such a, such a you know, really handled that situation well. And, uh, and it gets back to Jeremy Crabtree, who was uh, the, the main editor at Rivals. And it just sort of became like a running joke with all of the, the recruiting analysts before it ever was a thing on message boards, which, you know, it happens on message boards quite often where people accidentally, they, they, they just say Gerald instead of Gerard or they, they read it wrong. Um, but the Gerald Martinez thing actually came because, you know, Rick called me up and he goes, man, he goes, Gerald Martinez is quite, quite a guy. You know, I just had an hour conversation about how great Gerald Martinez was. <laughs> and I didn't even, I had one time previously in my life ever heard Martinez pronounced as Martinez. And that was when 
uh, someone at one of those radio stations that calls you up and says, hey, what's the phrase that pays or whatever it is? And you're supposed to say some slogan. And evidently they had mailed us previously that they were going to call the house. And I didn't I wasn't aware of this. And I answered the phone and they asked for is this the Martinez residence? And I said, no. <laughs> and they're like, this is such and such, you know, 991 KGGI, whatever the heck it was, the radio station. And I hung up and I told my mom, my mom goes, and I was like, I don't know, 13, 12 years old. And my mom goes, well, who was on the phone? I go, I don't know, some radio station. They're asking for the Martinez. She goes, what? She goes, oh, <laughs> God, Demar- that's Martinez. And, and, you know, I didn't know that, that that was even a pronunciation of Martinez that was Martinez. So anyway, so then, you know, as Rick is explaining to me about Gerald Martinez, it, I, I mean, it literally didn't dawn on me until like a few minutes in the conversation. I go, wait. Are you, is that what I'm, he said to you? Is that what that? I mean, I'm yeah. Gerald Martinez. Because you made enough of an impression that you know he didn't even get your name right. So, anyways, uh, you know Jim Clausen, great guy, just a character. Um, I still you know see Casey obviously around. Uh, he's a coach at Calabasas now, and uh, awesome, uh, always helpful for us. Um, and uh, or is he? Is or is he? A, he he's at Alamany. Oh, he's at Alamany. What am I thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking of Chris Claiborne, who was at. Uh, Calabasas and I, for some reason, I thought um, Casey was going over there for a while, but he's still at Alamany. Um, but okay, you got uh, a lot yeah. of names, a lot of high schools in your brain, Gerard. It's okay. That, <laughs> that was, but that was that was sort of where Gerald Martinez came. It came from the Jimmy Clausen recruitment, and I mean, you know, we have to again interject. This is sort of like it's not editorialized. This is by rankings and and like a like a point system. And again, I don't know how that was culminated. Um, I don't know if there was some retroactive like, hey, you know, 24-7, four years later, we're going to put in this guy was number one or whatever. I don't, know I don't how think that that's really, happened. Yeah, I don't know how that works because I, I just know like as five stars go and if we're ranking like their recruitment and how big it was, Jimmy Clausen was definitely way bigger than Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez was going to commit to USC, always was going to commit to USC. He committed to USC. It was a great player. And obviously, you know, he had a better career longevity wise than Jimmy Clausen. But when you start, you know, ranking best high school players ever, you have to look into that window of time and what people really thought, what people really projected. And they projected Jimmy Clausen to be a generational talent at quarterback. I think people thought Mark Chancellor was going to be really good, but I don't think at that point in time, they would have ranked him ahead of Jimmy Clausen, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And moving through and continuing on with this list is Whitney Lewis at St. Bonaventure. And I've seen uh, this name thrown around on the P a lot as maybe one of those guys that what could have been for USC in terms of obviously a an enormous amount of talent that never really uh, came to fruition with the Trojans. And I'm sure you have stories about Whitney Lewis, but he is actually tied with Percy Harvin on this list, who I know had. USC was involved in his recruitment. Have you told a great story about Percy Harvin on this podcast and, and his official visit and Reggie Bush? So it's interesting to see those two guys uh, intertwined here at 44 on the list. Yeah, and I would say, well, you know, 44 is probably a bit high for Percy Harvin. Um, they they were similar talents in terms of just being incredibly explosive players. Whitney Lewis was. 6'1", 215, coming out of St. Bonaventure High School, came in in the class following Lorenzo Booker, 
who is also on the list. Lorenzo Booker was a big-time player. Lorenzo Booker was kind of emblematic of USC losing talent out of state. You know, that was back when Miami and Florida State were really rolling. Tennessee was recruiting nationally. And Ohio State was recruiting pretty well nationally as well. And USC just lost a lot of players um, to those schools. And some of those players, they really weren't even in the top three, top five for. And so Lorenzo Booker goes to Florida State. Everybody's like, Whitney Lewis is just going to follow him to Florida State. And that's when USC started turning things around. And um, they were able to recruit the mom. And they were able to get Whitney Lewis. He was a guy that ran for 1,000 yards, 1,000 yards receiving. The big issue for Whitney Lewis is that he had dyslexia. And that was something they didn't know really until almost his senior year, if I recall. And uh, it was an obstacle for him, obviously, academically. Um, he ended up having to transfer out because I couldn't meet the academic standards at USC. Uh, he was a guy that, you know, a lot of people thought he was going to be a bust because when he came in to USC, he was like 240 pounds. And so people are going, you can't have a 240 pound six, one wide receiver. Uh, even though, you know, at that point, I think, you know, Mike Williams was like six, five, two fifty probably. Uh, but Mike Williams, that, offseason it decided to go and try to get into the NFL draft that was the summer the spring when Morris Claret decided to challenge the NFL to be able to go directly into the NFL and not having to wait uh, two years so Mike Williams took the lead from Maurice Claret and wasn't around during spring ball and during that time Whitney Lewis had dropped weight and he got in focus and I talked about this before he had a spectacular spring. I mean, he looked like the guy that we saw in high school. He was about 220, 225, and he was making plays that spring and just looked like he was going to be the guy that, you know, Mike Williams losing him, it wasn't going to be that big of a deal. And this was also before Dwayne Jarrett got on campus because ultimately Dwayne Jarrett ended up taking that position because Whitney Lewis, he just fell through the cracks academically. And um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, finger pointing as to, you know, who was responsible for that. Um, you know, did the coaching staff do what they could, et cetera, so on and so forth. I won't go into all that. Um, but Winnie Lewis was was a big time player at USC. Uh, he was a guy that had a ton of potential. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, he was he was a guy that was a bust in terms of talent and physical prowess. A lot of people kind of say that. Like, oh, you know, he really wasn't as good. He really wasn't as, as athletic, and that's why he didn't play. It really had a lot to do with the dyslexia and the off-field issues. That that was the main problem for him. We saw a glimpse of what he was capable of at that spring, and he was going to be big time. And it was just one of those unfortunate things that it, it just didn't really happen for him. And, um, you know, it, it was obviously a little bit of a setback for USC. They didn't have Mike Williams that year. Uh, they were lucky to get Dwayne Jarrett. And Dwayne Jarrett was a you know pretty good player for him uh, as a freshman. Uh, but you kind of do wonder, man, what what would have happened if they were able to to have uh, you know all those guys on the field that year uh, for USC? It makes sense to go in from one dynamic athlete to another one in Patrick Turner, who was tied for number thirty one on this list from the uh, two thousand and five recruiting class. Uh, Patrick also tied with Trenton Thompson. Out of the 2015 class, uh, Jabril Peppers, uh, another New Jersey legend, and then Eugene Monroe out of uh, New Jersey as well. Offensive tackle went on to play with the Baltimore Ravens, the Jaguars, and Cormani McLean, who is obviously a prospect in this 2023 class. 
uh, a cornerback out of Florida, and Dexter Lawrence. Also, a lot of people tied on this 31 spot, a uh, 6'5 defensive tackle out of Wake Forest. Kevin Jones, uh, running back who went on to go to Virginia Tech, and then Julio Jones as well, Ted Ginn Jr., Bryce Brown, Lorenzo Booker, who you mentioned, all these guys tied for that number 31 spot, but the most relevant one obviously being Patrick Turner, who was the top-rated wide receiver uh, out of uh, Tennessee. Yeah, that was one of the biggest out-of-state lands that USC had had under Pete Carroll. I mean, that was one of those ones where that was the same year that you had uh, Deshaun Jackson coming out. And there was a lot of talk about Deshaun Jackson wanted to wear number one. And Lane Kiffin decided to promise it to Patrick uh, Turner. Patrick Turner uh, was a, was an outlier in terms of visits because he actually officially visited USC, I believe, for the season opener that year. And uh, like I said before, USC didn't have a lot of official visitors during the season. And he was the lone official visitor early in the year. They got him early in the year and basically got him committed at that point. And he didn't pop, I think, until, gosh, I can't remember if it was right before signing day or signing day. It was late in the year. Um, but Patrick Turner, as, as a recruit, really didn't blow up, blow up until the Army All-American game week. And he had a spectacular bunch of practices where he was just mossing everybody. And that's where he kind of blew up towards the end of the year. He was definitely looked at as one of the top receivers out of that class, but he came from, I believe it was like Good Pasture Christian High School, which was very small ball in Tennessee. So a lot of people had questions about, you know, I mean, this guy, he's a big kid. He's got really good quickness. He wasn't like your typical big receiver. He certainly was not like Mike Williams at all. Uh, he was a very skilled, um, agile, quick athlete who just happened to be 6'5", but he didn't really always play like he was 6'5". Sometimes he played more like he was 6'1", but he also moved that way too. So that was one of the things that made him very unique. You know, Mike Williams was just a big, giant bully who, man, I mean, he Mike Williams and Drake London were very similar in terms of being big guys who played big, and when they got the ball in their hands after the catch, they were big. You know, it was one of those things that Mike Williams was looking to score every time he caught the ball. The same with Drake London. It's like, well, I know the first three guys are not going to get me down. There's just like, no, that's just that's just a matter of fact. And a lot of bigger receivers and a guy like Patrick Turner, he isn't really good after the catch. Um, so that was kind of probably one of the biggest issues with him. But as a recruit, he was big time. One of the things that makes this list very silly is that there's a lot of ties here. I mean, for number one, <laughs> number 31, number 28. It's um, like 19 ties of 31 right there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it's a little silly. I think – there's some names there that certainly would be well ahead of Patrick Turner in terms of the level of recruits they were and, and the storylines that went along with them. Um, I think Eugene Monroe was was huge. Uh, Jameel Peppers was a big-time recruit. Um, USC was after Eugene Monroe, and they, they had a bit of a shot with him. Um, but I think he ended up – I think he got went to Virginia, uh, yep, which yep, was yep. kind of you know out of left field a little bit. Um, but, um, Jabril Preppers, they really never really were involved with him too much, but, but he was big time. I mean, even though I was covering USC and not necessarily covering the schools that Jabril Preppers was, uh, was entertaining, uh, at least, you know, when it became the serious 
period in his recruitment. I think USC was at that point in time and everybody, any, any five-star and every five-star had USC like in their top 10, their top six, whatever. But then when it came to official visits, USC really wasn't in the picture, but I think Jabril Preppers, you know, if we're ranking these guys as what people thought in high school, you know, how good they were going to be, were they going to be generational talents? Were they just going to be like the best player that year? Uh, Jabril Peppers was, was way up there. I mean, that was a guy that a lot of people thought was going to be um, an amazing player. And, and I mean, he turned out to be a very, very good player. So, you know, uh, I mean, he had a, a, a longer uh, NFL career than, than Patrick Turner did. And speaking of ties, I know you just went on a little rant about ties, but we got another tie on this list. And these are actually a very funny tie in terms of, you know, these both both guys being Trojans. They ended up as Trojans. You have Corey Foreman. Obviously, he was the number one rated overall player in the 24-7 sports composite. He comes in at 28. And then Matt Barkley, who just an immense amount of hype surrounding his recruitment and he's also a guy I remember 2009 recruiting class. That was my senior year of high school. So that was obviously a time when I was still uh, regularly checking up recruiting rankings and all that stuff. And I remember his name and sort of the hype around him. And obviously Foreman, the jury's still out on him in terms of being uh, his potential at USC. You know, he's entering his sophomore season, so plenty of time. I know the sophomore year is a lot of people are banking on him to have a, a breakout season sort of in that rotational spot at that rush end position uh, in 2022. So people are expecting big things for, for Corey Foreman this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, Matt Barkley, again, is a recruit, that recruitment, even though he was kind of a done deal to USC all along, I think that people looked at him as being a generational talent more so than Corey Foreman. Uh, Corey Foreman's recruitment was, was somewhat crazy. You know, I mean, USC kind of had to come from behind in that recruitment. And I think without maybe Dante Williams, they're not able to, to, to seal the deal with him. Um, but I think Matt Barkley was looked at, you know, coming out of modern day, you're following uh, those Orange County quarterbacks, you know, the Orange County mafia of, of, uh, of Mark Sanchez and Carson Palmer and Matt Leiner, um, uh, you know, Billy Hart. There was a bunch of guys that, that came out of uh, Orange County and, and, and Matt was looked at as, the best of the bunch, you know, he was a guy that played as a freshman. Um, he's a guy that, you know, did things in modern day that even some of these great quarterbacks that have come through modern day had never done. So, you know, as a recruit, again, if we're talking about storylines and, and where people were projecting these players actually at high school, were being completely upfront about it. Matt Barkley was way up there. Matt Barkley was ahead of even Bryce Young, um, you know, Bryce wow. Young transferred in to uh, modern day. Um, Matt Barkley, probably even ahead of Malachi Nelson. Um, and those guys are ranked, I, I think ahead of Matt Barkley. So, yeah, I mean, you know, again, I, I know it's just like ratings and it's just a regurgitation of ratings, but, um, if we're being truthful about the zeitgeist, if we're being truthful about the period of time and what people really thought at that point of time and how they hyped up these guys and, and what they felt of the player potential of each of these guys. Yeah, Matt Barkley would definitely be ranked uh, ahead of Corey Foreman. We have another tie and sort of a guy you just mentioned, Bryce Young. Uh, obviously a former USC committed guy who was on track to you know help bring that offense to another level, but ended up being a decommitment and then a signing with Alabama. Obviously he's gone on to some really great things with the Crimson Tide. Uh, 
already a Heisman winner at such a young age. And then Malachi Nelson, USC's five-star 2023 commit in this class right now. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what he does in his senior year, trying to go out with a, a CIF championship at Los Alamitos. And just my input on sort of these these stories and Bryce Young, I remember going to Cathedral High School to interview Hunter Eccles uh, for he was a commit at that time. So I was going I was just doing some stops at some high schools, just wanted to uh, do a, a a, a recruiting update with him, see where he was, who was recruiting, things like that. And I remember uh, Scott Pearson, the head coach at Warren now, who was uh, the head coach at Cathedral at that time. You know, I just finished the interview. It's kind of just sitting in his office, uh, you know, saying my goodbyes. And he kind of says, I have this kid I want you to meet, this freshman who by the time he's a senior, everyone is going to be talking about this kid. And Lo and behold, it's a kid named Bryce Young. So that's a cool story I have. I know I know you have probably a million of those stories, uh, but that's that's the one for me that kind of is up there. And obviously, it's nice to see Bryce in this list, and I'm glad he's having so much success at the college level. Yeah, Kevin Pearson actually getting uh, maybe Nico Aymaevea back. He is that's, yes. That's something that we hadn't actually talked about. We talked a little bit about. The rumors that he was not going to be playing for Pauly and potentially not going to be playing at all this year, we'll see. Um, but uh, Nico's younger brother, Madden, um, is going to stay at Warren. And it sounds like potentially Nico might be playing at Warren, which, you know, I, I kind of like just because, you know, I think that it, he, he's done some great things at Warren and, and, and I'd like to see uh, him finishing out at Warren. I'm a little old school when it comes to these transfers and these mega teams and what have you. Um, I do like to see the, the talent spread out a little more. And um, so, you know, if he ends up playing uh, for Kevin out there, I, I think that would be uh, pretty neat. But anyways, uh, nevertheless, I do have a, a gripe just with including 2023 recruits on this list because they haven't actually finished their senior year, their senior year yet. Yeah, and, and that's silly. That's silly. I mean, we we really don't know, you know, what to make of, you know, what Malachi Nelson and his recruiting portrait really looks like until you know he's signed sealed and delivered and he's in college so that's i know it's 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 makes it more relevant you know it, it sort of interjects what's happening now with what's happening in the past and they're sort of trying to contrast you know the numbers and everything but i, I do think it's it's probably um it's it's not done yet you know we haven't seen what malachi nelson's journey uh, really comes to be, you know, until he's actually completed it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily like that. But uh, do you remember Bryce Young at Cathedral? I remember Bryce Young with ground zero, you know, and and uh, when he uh, flashed on the scene, this little guy uh, that had like this great arm. And I remember actually watching him playing for ground zeros like B team. And I walked over to Armand Hawkins and said, yeah, the young guy that you got for that other team that, in, it's not panoramic. I can't remember if they even called their teams panoramic and everything at that point. I think they did. And I said, he's looking good. I said, what? And, and I think there was rumors about Bryce going to Narbonne at that point. Um, so he was already maybe looking to go from Cathedral. And, um, and Armand's like, yeah, is he? Yeah. Oh, he's going to be a good one. Yeah. I think he, yeah, I think he's going to be good. And, you know, kind of talking about that a little bit. So I do remember uh, the early days of Bryce Young. But I, but like I said, 
and I think my point stands, he's he's ranked ahead of Matt Barkley, but you know, people thought he was a great player at, at modern day and everything, but those were great teams. I feel like Matt Barkley, I just remember like Troy Thomas uh, when he was at Servite. I mean, he's at Servite now, but he had, you know, kind of gone to crest before a while and he's back at Servite. But when he was at Servite, he had Servite rolling. I think that was back when DJ Shoemate and Matt Khalil were at Servite and we were down there talking. Um, and Troy was just like, he could not say enough good things about Matt Barkley. Cause I'd said something to the effect that, you know, he's kind of has to work a little bit on his ball spin and the delivery of, um, you know, how catchable of a ball. Cause you know, he had a little wobble sometimes. And, you know, when Matt was a senior, he really didn't have a great bunch of receivers to throw to. Victor Blackwell was the only guy on that team who was really a, a true other division one guy. And that was kind of a, a down period for modern day. Uh, they were not nearly as talented as they are now. It was a run where it was like Matt Barkley and everybody else. And so we were kind of talking and I was nitpicking a bit about Matt Barkley's, uh, you know, him, him having a little more spiral and, and maybe catching, uh, throwing a little more catchable football. And Troy was just like, dude, he's amazing. Like he's good. And Troy Thomas just doesn't go on like that about many guys, especially yeah. modern day guys, but he's like, he is the best quarterback I've ever seen at the high school level in my life. And he just went on and on about him. And those kind of things kind of reverberate a bit, you know, and I, and I think uh, maybe it's just because Bryce had transferred into modern day and, you know, that, that kind of changes the, the narrative a bit. Um, but, you know, Mac was one of the first guys that um, I believe had actually started at modern day as a quarterback four years. And so that was like a monumental thing. So again, you know, kind of looking back at this and, and the true nature of their recruitments and the true natures of, you know, what kind of players they were looked at in high school during that time at that point. Yeah. I mean, Barkley was, was, was way up there. And this is the next, this next guy who I'm actually surprised is this low tied at number 19 uh, is obviously the legendary AP out of Palestine, Texas was that number one player in the 2020, 2004 class, sorry, not 2020, uh, 2004 class. Obviously USC was heavily involved uh, with him. And I know there's been a lot of stories that have come out in the last couple of years about how close AP was to choosing USC over Oklahoma. I know that's a big, the one that got away for coach uh, Ed Orgeron. I know he's done multiple stories about this. And uh, the one being, you know, uh, AP's dad was uh, incarcerated at the time. And I remember a podcast uh, coach Orgeron was talking about how he could get uh, AP's dad transferred to a, a jail out in California or something to that effect. So this was definitely one that, you know, USC came really close to. At least that's what, you know, a guy, that's what AP has said on shows. And that's what Ed Orgeron has said. So I don't know how really close it was, but AP with Reggie Bush and Lendell White would have been just bananas. Yeah, that, that's what you call stacking the deck. That's, that's <laughs> you know, and, and it wasn't in the same class. It was uh, following uh, the Reggie Bush, Lindell White, Chauncey Washington class. So you have to remember Chauncey Washington was in there as well. And Chauncey Washington was a big time recruit. So USC signed three big time running backs the year before. And then they have Adrian Peterson coming in. And I remember following that recruitment and thinking, I mean, there's just no way you're going to sign those three guys. Reggie Bush is already like a dude. 
you know, as a as a as a freshman. Um, and they did come very close. Uh, he he is he has said that himself that he really really thought about going to USC, and that just I mean it's just hard to think like, like how does that all play out? You know what? There's only one football. You know, it is is Lendo White not the same guy? You know, do we not hear as much about Lendo White uh, in USC's run? Um, you know, who who has less carries? Do they maybe push Reggie Bush to being a wide receiver? I know that Pete Carroll initially evaluated Reggie Bush and felt that he was more of a wide receiver. It was Kennedy Palomalu who really pushed to say, no, he can play running back. Like he has the ability, we'll get him bulked up. He can play running back. Let's use him as a running back. And, um, you know, Chauncey Washington, I think, out of that fall practice, probably looked the best of all three of them. I mean, if, if, if wow. we're being completely honest. Chauncey Be completely Washington, honest. Drug. He was probably the most uh, well-rounded, uh, pure runner of that threesome. So um, it, it, that was a hell of a pull. And then to think that you could have had Adrian Peterson following that was just, I mean, I don't know that, that, that's just kind of insane, but uh, you know, his recruitment was big and I know there was a lot of people really high on him, but I, I don't recall it being quite the circus or hullabaloo that maybe some of these other guys were. Um, I think there were definitely some questions about him as a running back because how tall he was, you know, he's a legit six, two, almost six, three. And anytime you're that tall, there's always questions like, oh, you, I mean, is he, is he really going to be able to play running back? Can he drop his pads, you know, to be able to to play running back? And so, yeah, he he was a big time guy. But I mean, kind of like you know Derrick Henry, um, there was a lot of questions because of how tall he was. And another guy that you know was a big time recruit and a big time player, and still a big time player in the NFL, um, but not. I just don't remember the hype quite about him. So even though 19. Uh, seems low because you think of his NFL career and you, you right, think right. how great he was at Oklahoma. Um, that That's not necessarily inaccurate in terms of like the hype and the craziness and what people were really saying about him coming out of high school. And we transitioned that to someone where the hype was very, very much real with number 15, Joe McKnight, obviously USC went there, New Orleans, John Curtis, a Louisiana legend, uh, Joe McKnight, and we're able to pull him out of the bayou. And one of the, I guess for someone who was following recruiting a lot, that for me was like one of the real, like, this is an insane recruitment as to where, like, what is going to happen? I'm not sure. Um, I don't know where this one, where McKnight's recruitment falls for you in terms of maybe the hype and like the craziness, the craziness of it all and where he's, he's going to end up. Um, and unfortunately, obviously, uh, as everyone knows, you know, Joe McKnight is not with us anymore. He was fatally shot in that road rage incident in 2016. Um, he was only 28 years old. So, um, you know, RIP to him. Uh, so yeah, McKnight is obviously kind of a tragic end there to, to his life. But, you know, in 20, 2007, number one player in this class, just an incredible amount of attention on that young man for where he was going to go to college. Probably the biggest pull recruiting wise for USC under Pete Carroll, you know, probably like the culmination of all the recruiting efforts to get certain guys from out of state. Like I said, you know, Patrick Turner was a big one. Patrick Turner was one of those ones. It's like SEC. 
There's no way you're getting them away from Tennessee. Those guys just, they stay in the SEC. And USC kept it really low-key. They brought him in early in the year, had that official visit, and really had him committed from that point on. And, you know, people just kind of weren't really talking about USC and where USC stood with him. And with Joe McKnight, it was similar. He came out to California and actually performed at the Nike camp in Los Angeles as a junior. And it was at that point that he'd visit Los Angeles. He'd hung out with some people out here. And he was really a silent commitment for USC for probably more than a year. And it was just one of those things that people said, well, you know, whatever. He's going to LSU. You know, he, he's just he's just one of those guys. LSU does not lose these players. They're going right. to figure out some way to make sure they get Joe McKnight. And the truth of the matter is Joe McKnight just didn't have a very good relationship with that coaching staff. He didn't like him very much. And you also had Ed Ergeron, who was the head coach at Ole Miss at that point. Was that Les Miles staff? I believe so. I believe so. And, I mean, it could have been Nick Saban, but I, I think it was Les Miles still. The Mad Hatter himself. But it didn't really matter because what we kept hearing is that, you know, McKnight – uh, was going to USC and, and LSU really wasn't involved quite as much. Now you, you, again, you still had, you know, uh, sort of NIL before NIL and that sort of wild card of like, you know, what's going to happen. And you know, LSU could do anything at the last minute, but we kept hearing it really was more like a Ole Miss USC thing. At that point, I think Ole Miss and USC are just kind of playing a game of keep away from LSU. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, Ole Miss just wants to get him out of the SEC. If he's not, going to go to Ole Miss, then, you know, get them to SC, get them out of the conference. They don't have to play against them. And so I think there was a little bit of teamwork as well there, you know, with Edward Ron, um, you know, having uh, been on the, the staff at USC and uh, feeling like, hey, you know what, if we can't get him, then let's make sure he doesn't go to LSU either. Um, so, you know, that was definitely a big recruitment and it, it still surprised a lot of people you know, at the end of the day that he went to USC and he picked them over LSU. Uh, but um, a lot of us knew that he was a silent commitment back in the days when silent commitments uh, sort of mattered and, and, and held some weight, um, held some water. He was one of those guys that uh, was silent, like throughout the whole process. Wow. I guess if I had been a Parastyle member back in uh, 2007, I would have uh, had a little more clar- clarification on that recruitment. That was back before emojis. Back, back before emojis. Uh, coming in at number 11, tied, obviously, with some other high-end prospects. Uh, DJ Williams out of De La Salle. And Gerard, why does USC struggle with De La Salle kids? That's a good question. Um, it's a great they question. They don't recruit the Bay Area very hard is, is one mm. of the problems. They, they don't have any Bay Area recruiters. They very rarely have anybody that's been from Northern California. Um, so, you know, Dale Sal is, is, uh, is, is kind of plugged in with um, a lot of other schools. And it just seems like, yeah, I mean, going back to Genos Williams, DJ Williams, number one player out of California. He was, uh, he was looked at as a generational talent. Uh, he was the first really big-time recruit coming out of Dale Sal Because at that point, Dale Sal was really known as being a good high school football team. But people dismissed them a lot uh, in the national rankings when you looked at the USA Today rankings, because they didn't have a lot of blue chip 
Division One athletes coming out of there. You know, they had one or two guys, you know, maybe each year, um, but they were not guys that were going to be national recruits. And DJ Williams was really one of the first guys. You know, it was a team of like, you know, 40 players, 50 players. They played both ways. And DJ Williams was a running back and a linebacker. He was 6'2", 225, and he just looked the part. Like, he was a guy that, you know, you came off the bus first. And um, that was at the height of, like I said, you know, with Lorenzo Booker, guys leaving California to go play uh, for Florida State, to go play for Miami. And DJ Williams actually went to Miami when Miami was um, being coached by Butch Davis. And uh, they were, you know, getting ready to go on a big uh, run uh, nationally. And um, they had uh, Jonathan Vilma. They had a bunch of players. And he actually played uh, fullback first at Miami. And so he started his freshman year playing fullback for Miami. And then they switched him to Will Linebacker. And he ended up getting drafted and going on and playing for the Denver Broncos. Um, but as a recruit, yeah, I mean, you could probably argue he could be ranked a little higher. Um, but, uh, you know, wasn't a guy that was a big hype guy. It was really big out here because, like I said, he was the first guy that really helped Dale Sal get on the map and people starting to take them seriously as a school because they recognized they had, you know, big time division one guys. You had Kevin Simon come out, Matt Gutierrez, um, uh, Cameron Colvin. You had a, a bunch of players kind of follow out of De La Salle after that. And, and at that point, you know, De La Salle was, you know, holding the number one ranking in the nation or they were number two uh, almost every year, you know, for a stretch of years. And then the last real USC centric guy on this list comes in at number eight. And that is Ronald Powell out of Rancho Verde High School, um, top-rated prospect in that 2010 class. Uh, injuries kind of got the best of him throughout his career going to Florida and, you know, didn't really make a name for himself in the NFL following that. So Ronald Powell sort of rounds out this list of USC guys. Yeah, very high. Um you could probably put him ahead of Corey Foreman, but not that far ahead of Corey Foreman. Um, he was a national crew, uh, and, and, and there was a lot of different schools that, that jumped in on him early, and it became really a Florida-USC thing um, at the end for a while. Um, very good player. I remember seeing him as a freshman, and he was a pudgy, <laughs> 240-pound defensive end. And uh, our friend there, uh, Duff, uh, Coach Pete Duffy, um, you know, talked about him. And, and you know, we, we saw him really grow as a recruit and as a player, you know, because he was a guy that was on the radar very early on, but not in the same light as a guy like, let's say, DeAnthony Thomas. He also didn't make the list. And I would say, you know, he'd be way up there, uh, certainly as a recruit, a guy that, I mean, listen. He was a guy that had the nickname Black Mamba coming out of Pop Warner. There you go. You know, Snoop Dogg put him on the map out uh, of his uh, Pop Warner league. And so when he arrived at Crenshaw, saw him play as a freshman as well, he was a guy who people were calling Black Mamba. I remember having a conversation with Ken Norton Jr. about Black Mamba as <laughs> a freshman at Crenshaw High School. Kenny going, man, I hope I'm not still coaching college football at that point. It's so, I mean, it's like, you know, definitely like DeAnthony Thomas would be in there, I think. Um, again, it's ratings, and I, I think it's probably skewed by ESPN or somebody has kind of skewed really how big some of these guys were coming out of high school. 
Ronald Powell was big, but he was number eight. He wasn't that highly thought of. Um, he wasn't looked at as like some generational guy. He was a big time recruit in um, in Urban Meyer's, you know, first real national class. But I tell you what, I tell you two guys that were ranked way higher and thought of much more highly of than Ronald Powell for Urban Meyer. Uh, well, not just Urban Meyer, because Chris Lee came out and was a quarterback. But I think he was already at Florida. So I don't think he was actually an Urban Meyer recruit. I think Chris Leak was a Ron Zook recruit. And Ron Zook recruited really well for Florida. The Zookster. And Urban Meyer already had like a pretty good roster to work with because Ron Zook had recruited very well for Florida. Um, But the guy that's also not on this list, which is crazy, this – this shows you this. I don't know what this list is, really, to be honest <laughs> with you. Because I don't think it's ranking like the best players as they were players. And it certainly is not ranking like in terms of storylines and the hype. Tim Tebow, man. Tim freaking Tebow was the guy of that class. And then it was Percy Harvin. It wasn't Ronald Powell. And Ronald Powell's ranked ahead of both those guys. So, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Ronald Powell was a crazy says. player. Powell was a really was a good kid. Uh, you know, I, I was very close with him, you know, as, as a recruit. But, yeah, I, I don't really see him being ranked that high. Uh, and even in that class for Florida, which was like their historic class, had Josh Shaw in there, Santa Shaw, who ended up transferring to USC. They had a bunch of good players in that class. It was a real national class for Urban Meyer. But, um, yeah, Ron Powell wasn't even really the, the really thought of as, like, the, the top guy, the top dog in that class. Oh, that was the uh, Sheantro Sh- Sh- Henderson year. Did I say that right? Central Anderson year. Yeah. yeah. No, I I looked it up. No, it's it's that's it. That's it. Yeah. And then and that and he was a big time recruit for USC and committed to USC and then uh they got hit with sanctions. And uh he backpedaled out of that and got out of his NLI, uh NIL. NLI. No, excuse me. <laughs> See? <laughs> no, that's actually N I N L I, the National Letter of Intent. Uh, that it sucks now that we're we're uh, we have N I L and N L I. Right. Uh, but he backed out of that and uh, went to Miami and and, and had a, a he had an okay career at, at, at Miami. He, his his college career was basically sort of like his NFL career. I mean, he's kind of been a backup for most of his career. Uh, played for the uh, Buffalo Bills for a while. Um, I don't think he's still in the NFL. Um, I never do not really was so, like. No. Yeah, never was like amazing in the NFL, but I don't really really remember him being amazing at Miami either. But you know, he got drafted and and, uh, and had a social career. But he was a he was a big time guy, and that was like one of the first recruits. Speaking of Chantrell Henderson, who pushed his commitment date past uh, the the February signing day period, you know, which was one of the first times we had gone through that, and you know, everybody was um, the revolutionary idea back then. Yeah, yeah, everybody's waiting around till March to figure out what was going on. He finally commits to USC. USC gets him. Um, big time uh, landing for USC, and then uh, they get hit with sanctions, and he backs out of his uh, <laughs> NLI. Well, there you go. And do you agree with the number one overall, Jadavion Clowney? There's a couple tied with there, but I feel like Clowney is like the guy out of this group. Clown, yeah, Clowney was was definitely up there. I think there's an argument to be made for Clowney. Um, there are other guys in there. I mean, I'll throw a name out there. Brock Berlin was a was huge. He was a huge recruit um, coming out of high school. He was again attached with the credibility 
of the high school football program he was a part of, and that was Evangel Christian. Evangel Christian was up there with De La Salle for a long time, but they were just a small school, and people didn't really take note of them until they started getting guys signed. Um, obviously, you had later on J.D. Booty, who J.D. Booty, I think, would be arguably on that list if he didn't come out a year early. This is why it's kind of silly to have guys on there that haven't even played their senior year. Um, but J.D. Booty was like a huge uh, recruit. And obviously, you know, reclassifying, that was one of the first guys that ever reclassified and ends up at USC. So he was pretty big. But Brock Berlin came out before him and was like this huge uh, recruit. But, you know, he had a terrible uh, college career. He was, he was kind of a bust as, as a college football player. So, you know, people really don't think about him in that way. Um, but Jadavion Clowney certainly – you know, his recruitment, I guess it was kind of crazy in 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 the SEC, you know, uh, with, with those schools. USC was was not really a, a huge part of it. Um, I, you know, Ed Ergeron recruited him and was excited about him. Um, there's a story where I can't even tell about that. But oh, uh, you just yeah, piqued he, everyone's interest. You're going to get we're going to get a thousand yeah, questions about this. Thanks I, a lot. I, I Thanks wanna, a lot. You know, talk out of class. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think he was a physical freak. He was absolutely a physical freak. He was a guy that was running, like I said, 10-4 uh, in track at 265. And that was just, like, unheard of. So, yeah, you could, you could make an argument there. It was kind of underwhelming, I think, him going to South Carolina just because, you know, he was a South Carolina recruit and people thought, oh, he's going to go to Alabama. He's going to go to some big-time program. And he kind of just, you know, ended up in South Carolina. It was like, oh, okay, all right, whatever. Um, but, uh, but, no, I mean, he was great. You know, he was he was a guy that people were like, holy crap, this dude, you know, is, is a physical freak. And, um, you know, sort of uh, the Nicholas Harbor of his time in terms of just being oh. a, a big guy that was just way faster than than anybody thought was humanly possible. And a guy who's one of the guys tied up there with him for number one overall. And that kind of leaps us into our final little update part of the of the show before we get into some quick questions is that arch manning you know i know you there's a gripe with 2023 guys uh being involved in this list uh, arch being one of them hasn't even completed his senior year but arch obviously is a polarizing figure in among fans of recruiting you know he is he maintained his number one overall status in our 24 7 sports update of the top 247 and I'm just going to read off some of those changes. Like I said, Arch remained at number one. Malachi dropped down from number two to number five overall. He has also moved down to the number two overall prospect in California because uh, Nico Gerard, can you help me with the last name? I am Ayaleva. I am Ayaleva. Can I say it? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Nico moved up to number two overall, I believe, or he's the number one prospect in California. Uh, Zachariah Branch, he moved up to number 10 from number 12, and he officially got his five-star status. So he's a consensus five-star prospect. Uh, Makai Lemon, he is no longer the number one athlete. He moved down to number 24. He still does not have his five-star designation. 24-7 Sports only gave a handful of new five-star uh, five-star ratings, but he is still firmly in that top 32. Uh, Nicholas Harbor actually took over as the number one athlete. Makai Lemon down to number 24 from number 15, I believe. Uh, Braxton Myers and Quentin Joyner were the only two other top 247 prospects. Braxton coming at coming in at number 
144, and Quentin Joyner, the running back out of Texas, at 161. Both of those guys took drops. I believe it's a nine-spot drop for Braxton and a six-spot drop for Quentin. And I don't think those are necessarily like evaluation drops. I think that's just more so other guys are moving up, so some guys move down. And then I'm just going to read off a couple of guys, uh, some changes for some of USC's top targets out there. Uh, five-star edge, Mateo Ugialele. Ungialele. Gerard, help me. I'm losing my <laughs> Mateo Ungalele. There you go. Thank you. He's number eight in the country, a three-spot drop. Nicholas Harbour moved up seven spots to number nine overall. Like I said, the number one athlete. Deuce Robinson, eight-spot drop to number 29. Uh, Spencer Fano, you know, a guy maybe USC's going to get involved with uh, at the offensive line recruiting. He dropped down to number 53, a 13-spot drop. Four-star offensive tackle Lucas Simmons committed to Florida State, but, you know, never know what's going to happen. He had another massive rise to number 60 overall, a 83-spot jump. Uh, Jalen Hale dropped uh, eight spots to number 74. Roderick Pleasant dropped 10 spots to number 82. Walker Lyons dropped 22 spots to number 102 overall. Taka Curtis, this was before he was an official commit for USC. He dropped 35 spots to number 121. Uh, Braylon Shelby, massive jump. He was not even ranked in the top 247. He jumped up to four-star status at number 156 overall. Dalen Austin, LSU commit. USC target out of Long Beach Poly. He had a 66 uh, spot jump to number 160 overall. Caleb Lomu, uh, Arizona offensive tackle that USC offered uh, a couple months ago. He had a 20 spot jump to number 197. And then four-star cornerback Malachi Crawford, USC is in his final three, UCLA and Cal. He had a 25 spot jump to number 211. Gerard, a lot of numbers out there. I know we had a, a in-depth sort of impromptu discussion about Arch Manning and Malachi uh, at that number one spot, but a lot of not a lot of rises for for targets and and commits in this latest update. It's rankings, it's opinions. Right. I don't uh, sit on the committee and talk to those guys and pound the table for guys. So, you know, it's someone else's opinion. I, I don't really have much to say about, you know, rising and falling. And um, I can't even really tell you the reasons for that. You know, you have to have Greg Biggins or Brandon Huffman or Steve Wilfong or somebody that uh, is a part of that process. Talk about it and explain, you know, why one guy rises and another guy rises. It, it's interesting because I know that individuals on the committee have certain opinions that are not necessarily reflected reflected here. Um, interestingly enough, you know, you see some guys rising who some of the analysts regionally have not been real high on. And then some guys dropping where, you know, I've had conversations with people where they really like those recruits. So I don't really know, you know, how it all gets um, uh, figured out in the end. Um, obviously, you know, we talked about Arch Manning, being number one nationally and how he should drop. I stand by what I said. I, I don't think he should be number one nationally. I don't think that there should be a policy in place that says if you don't go to X amount of events, you can't be number one at that position. Um, speaking about quarterback, maybe even wide receiver and cornerback. There's positions that the offseason you can actually get decent evaluation points on. And so I think when you duck those events, you basically say, hey, you know, what? I'm taking my – Take my name out of the hat 
for being number one at that position and certainly number one overall in the nation. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a lot to uh, opine about all that. Uh, they're just ratings and stars. And, um, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, who ends up at USC. And again, you know, we're not looking at this in a vacuum. It's very much dependent on how a particular player fits into the scheme and to what a coaching staff is doing in terms of development. You know, one guy could be a four-star for one school and be a five-star for another school just because of the fit and the impact that he can make in that scheme uh, with those type of coaches, uh, with that team and the teams that they play against. So you have to take all that stuff into consideration when you look at these rankings. And that's why we do things like future impact. You know, those future impact pieces are not just a regurgitation of like, oh, this guy's fast. Oh, this guy's big. Oh, this guy reminds us of this guy. It's about what does he look like in a Trojan uniform? What does he look like on that depth chart? What does he look like in the scheme that USC's running? And how effective and productive can he be with those things in place, looking at that commitment within those parameters? Uh, a good analysis of the stars, and that's coming from a couple of one-stars, Gerard. There you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, let's wrap it up. We have just a handful of listener questions. And I have a limited amount of questions today because I was unable to access some of the, the email questions that were uh, that came into us through the official email that is podcast at uscfootball.com. Look, I'm just having a bunch of technical issues today. Email, soundboard, what have you. But I promise you I, we will get to them. Uh, again, if you have a question for us and you want to email us at podcast at uscfootball.com, just make sure you list the composite or the two stars or hurricane or 10K or whatever. The Latino guys is a popular one. Or you can also DM me. Again, do not DM Hurricane. He will not respond. Uh, so let's get into here. We have let's get into these here, Gerard. We only have four. So let's let's knock let's go four for four. Like USC went four for four for June 10th. Sound good? That sounds amazing. Okay, the first one comes from Dave E. I just found out Mateo is going to be going to Louisville soon. Can we be seeing them steal, buy out our biggest recruit away? You know, Louisville has not been a school that uh, Mateo has talked much about during the process. It's kind of been a Oregon-USC battle. Obviously, uh, with Louisville being able to get Ruben Owens, the five-star running back at El Campo uh, High School in Texas. It uh, raised a lot of eyebrows. You know, they got DeAndre Moore earlier, but DeAndre Moore is not uh, the level of recruit that Ruben Owens is um, as the number one player in Texas. And I don't know, you know, ranking update, maybe he's not still the number one player in Texas, but he was a five-star and the number one player in Texas uh, a month ago when they got him committed. So it definitely is one of those things that you kind of, you know, we have to see what uh, type of uh, review uh, Mateo has of Louisville after that unofficial visit. It's kind of a Bosco thing. Also, you have Steve Clarkson's son right. there um, at uh, at St. John Bosco. And and uh, now you've had uh, DeAndre Moore transfer in the St. John Bosco. Uh, Aaron Williams, the uh, four-star cornerback from Centennial High School, also transferred in and is committed to Louisville. So, you know, it's uh, it's not hard to connect the dots there, <laughs> certainly. Um, but, um, you know, USC has in, been in a very good position for Mateo and Gulele for a while. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see how it goes. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, I can't I can't really predict. You know, NIL is is very difficult to predict. Um, with uh, you know, all this stuff uh, financially, we're talking about private sector. You know, this is not um, stuff that we're uh, we're going to be privy to in terms of financial information and and, and what type of offers that he's given uh, outside of uh, just uh, what Louisville has to offer um, from a football academic standpoint. Next one comes from Ken, Ken, not can, Ken, he live, which is a very clever name. Is Tackett Curtis the biggest get of the Riley era? I understand Caleb is major, but I'm confident Lincoln Riley will load up at the skill positions with ease. I'm grouping linebackers with Lyman and saying stealing an elite one from a house state SEC country is big because you need difference difference makers in the trench wars to really be elite. Now, I've been thinking about this question when I first got it, and I would say there is an argument that TC is maybe the biggest land for Lincoln Riley. I mean, Caleb, obviously out of the portal, is big, but he was already committed to Lincoln Riley. He That, that was just a natural fit. Same thing with Malachi Nelson and, and Makai Lemon, those flips. Those were not the hardest flips to make, obviously, to SoCal guys. Just super easy to, oh, come on to USC. Same thing with Zachariah Branch. His brother was already committed at that point, so that was just an easy lockup there. If Lucas Simmons or Mateo, or sorry, not Mateo, uh, Francis had come aboard, those would easily, I think one of those guys would be the biggest get of the Riley era. But I certainly think there is a argument to be made that Tackett Curtis is the biggest one so far. I think the other big challenger would be maybe Jordan and Addison just because of his pedigree as a college football player. You know, he's a Blitnikoff winner. He's an All-American. But what hurts that argument is that he's not necessarily a position that you needed. You know, if he was a uh, Outland Trophy winner, absolutely, as an offensive lineman. But, you know, wide receiver – as uh, Kenny Lib points out, USC is not going to have issues with skill players. It's, you know, defensive linemen, offensive linemen, sort of these linebackers uh, moving forward. So I kind of think maybe Tacky Curtis is the biggest one so far, Gerard. I don't know how you feel. If biggest, we mean the greatest accomplishment from a recruiting standpoint for the staff. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yes. I agree. I agree. I, I think this is I mean, this was a fight. This was a battle. This was a recruitment. Certainly when you look at the quarterback position and you look at Caleb and you look at Malachi, those are very, very important, um, you know, sort of cornerstone uh, recruits for the football program. Uh, cornerstone right now with Caleb and trying to turn this thing around. And in the future, having Malachi there, um, it's very big. But as you said, you know, you coached Caleb at Oklahoma. And so, uh, you know, that was probably an easier sell being that there was a prior relationship there with Lincoln Riley coming to USC. And certainly there was a prior relationship with uh, Malachi Nelson uh, from Oklahoma. So you, you really want to sort of look at, um, you know, tabla rasa, right? Like late uh, blank slate. Um, now there was some relationships there already established uh, with uh, Brian Odom at Oklahoma as well, but certainly not to the extent of, Tackett Curtis already having made some decisions in his head about where he was going. That was pretty early on in the recruiting process, and he still had yet to take his official visits. He had officially visited or unofficially visited USC once and then came back with this staff in place to visit this past spring. 
So I would say, you know, with all the other schools recruiting him and, uh, you know, they also had their established relationships already. Um, for sure, I would say it's the greatest accomplishment of this coaching staff to date. It was definitely um, the biggest notch in the belt um, going head to head with with Ohio State. And, and you know what? It may have not come down to Ohio State and USC. There was some talk that maybe it was really Wisconsin and yeah. uh, USC. The badges. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, you know, Ohio State, this was the top linebacker on their board. Uh, and so that that's a huge get being able to go head to head with the big boys. And um, we'll see, you know, going forward, what USC is able to do. And, and again, I mean, you know, we talked about Curtis being a sort of um, barometer, sort of, you know, what what's the ceiling for this summer? You know, I mean, it's still maybe what's the ceiling in terms of what USC is capable of just in general. And that might include some of the guys that they have to try to flip to be able to have a great online class. You know, uh, guys that, you know, maybe – Right now, they look like they're on the outs with. But again, you know, you're, you're sitting on 10 wins at the end of the season and uh, and things can change. There's a lot that can change in college football and you could end up um, with with the with the you know three or four guys that are in the class that you didn't think were going to be in the class could really change the narrative of, you know, what ultimately that 2023 class looks like at the end of the day. Uh, our next question comes from Jameson. Uh, what are your guys' initial thoughts on Alex Grinch's defense, and what can it bring to the table? What can it bring to the table for SC? I know SC was a great program when they had a defense, a good one at that. I just want to know yours and Hurricane's thoughts on this, and maybe a breakdown if possible. Thanks and fight on for better days for the football program. I'm still in sort of a wait and see uh, zone for Alex Grinch's defense. You know. I know they he's gotten a lot of criticism for his time, his short time at Oklahoma, and you know they struggled at times, and there was sort of a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They started off early on in the or early in his in his tenure at Oklahoma, and they kind of uh, downgraded or struggled as time went on. I'm, I'm blanking on the right word for that, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so he's got some intriguing pieces to work for his scheme, uh, you know, emphasizes, you know, that quickness, has some interesting spots, uh, need to get after the quarterback. I like how they're trying to use uh, those defensive backs kind of uh, seamlessly. You know, it's not necessarily, oh, this guy's a safety, this guy's a cornerback. It's the five best defensive backs on the field. And I think, obviously, losing Zion Branch is kind of a blow, but they have a lot of guys to work with whether that's Kalen Bullock, Xavier Alfer, uh, Alfred, uh, Max Williams, who I think is going to have a big season. Uh, Latrell McCutcheon is an intriguing guy. Makai Blackman, if he's healthy, I think could be really good. Uh, Damani Jackson, you know, big freshman cornerback. There's a lot of intrigue with those cornerback spots, and I think a lot of people are excited for that linebacker core, uh, for the guys they brought in. You know, Shane Lee, Eric Gentry, and, you know, people want to see them get after the quarterback because that was something they really struggled with. And they struggled to, you know, be physical and uh, make tackles. So those are all things we saw them working on in the spring. But for me, it's still I got to wait and see it. You know, I got to wait and see what it looks like against Rice. I got to wait to see what it looks like against uh, Stanford or Oregon State on the road. And then ultimately Utah in week six in Salt Lake City. I got to wait until I, I see to give a really full thought on the, on this defense after a disastrous last season. But just based on my observations in spring, 
I think they have potential to be good. Not great, not amazing, not top 10 or anything like that, but relative to last season, I think they can make a lot of improvement. And I don't think they really need to be great because I think the offense is going to be great. And so they just need to be enough to, you know, get some teams off the field, get the get the ball back for the offense, let them put up points. If they give up 25 points in a game, so be it. But if the offense is scoring 55 points, you know, that, that that's their formula. The defense is going to carry them. It's going to be offense. So they just need to be good enough, make some plays, get some takeaways, get some sacks, get some stops at some point. I feel like they might be more bend than break uh, a defense this year than outright shutting teams down. Uh, but that's okay. You know, this is a defense that sucked last year. They had a lot of departures, a lot of new faces, a uh, new scheme to kind of work with and play with. So I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains early on. But I do like the potential for them to sort of be a good unit in 2022. I agree. And then I also would have to interject that what you described optimistically is not a championship defense. So if sure. USC's ultimate goal defensively is to just kind of slow some teams down and just have the offense outscore anybody, you're not going to win college football playoff games like that. You know, you, you can't just outscore people. That has been proven. You have to have a defense that can disrupt and can stop some teams um, during the year. You've got to have some shutouts. You've got to have uh, the ability um, to show up and to be able to stop the team across from you at some point in time um, in the football game. And because the offense, it's college football, and offenses are good for you know two games a season at least where they're just off. You're usually just not in sync, and you cannot depend on that Graham Harrell 55 points a game. And so I think, you know, you, you really hope that Alex Grinch is able to bring to the table what he did at Washington State. And that was not a bend but don't break defense. That was an attacking, disruptive defense that forced turnovers. It's a defense that schematically is built mainly upon having quicker, agile, front seven defenders be able to shoot the gaps and get in the offensive backfield. There's a lot of stunting. There's a lot of shifting. But the big difference between this defense and Todd Orlando's defense is the defensive line. It's the fact that you are dependent upon having athletes on the defensive line that can get upfield, as opposed to Todd Orlando's defense, which was predicated mostly on having bigger defensive linemen sit in the gaps and sort of be body catchers. And certainly from a recruiting standpoint, USC didn't have a lot of big bodies to be able to control the line of scrimmage like that. Uh, I shudder anytime USC hires a defensive line coach that says he wants to dabble in two gap defenses because it's just not what you get on the West Coast. You're not going to get a bunch of guys that are going to be 330 pounds, 300 pounds, and you're going to put three of those guys to the line of scrimmage and they're just going to fill those gaps and be uh, space eaters. You're going to get more guys that are going to be coming out of high school at 240, 250 pounds, and you put weight on them, and you get them that 285, and they're able to be athletes and be able to get upfield. That's what you really wanted to see USC do from a development standpoint with Drake Jackson. He needed to be 280 pounds, and he needed to be playing three technique, and he needed to be getting upfield, and you need to have an interior pass rush. That's what USC lacks on the roster right now is potentially the interior pass rush not really being there. Now, they have Thule 
to uh, Polotu, who could potentially be that guy. But we've seen him kind of playing a little bit of five technique and moving him around. I'd like to just see him play three technique and focus three technique and just be a savage in the three technique and have that consistent interior pass rusher that really allows your linebackers to get free, to clean up plays and not have to take on a bunch of blocks and have to be guys that are filling the gaps that way. You want your linebackers at USC to run free and to be able to make tackles. Uh, You don't want them to have to take on a bunch of blocks. So speed is the name of the game with this defense. They're going to put, you know, a bunch of safeties on the field. That's the back end. I don't think is going to be a whole lot different than what we've seen. Um, Hopefully in terms of performance, it's different. (laughs) The the results you certainly want to be different than last year. Uh, Last year, they were atrocious. Uh, They regressed a lot with Dante Williams having to take on the head coaching responsibilities and not being a guy that could just focus in on the defensive back position. And so they've got to be much better in terms of their execution at the defensive back, um, the communication. They've got the talent there. That's the thing. You know, like you said, losing Zion Branch hurts. But if there's one position that they could lose a guy at and not really feel it too much, it's the safety position because they recruited really well the year before uh, at USC at the safety position. So you've got guys like Kalen Bullock. You've got guys like uh, Zamir and Gordon, um, Anthony Beavers. Um, they've got transfers that have come on, like Xavion uh, Elford, who's a, a potentially a very good player for USC. So back end, they've got the talent. Um, you know, you didn't even mention uh, Jacoby Covington coming in from Washington, who's a potential starter for them. Um, you've got those guys in the back end that are certainly uh, ready uh, from a talent standpoint. It's a matter of play calling and execution and technique and them be just being good football players. But the front seven is going to make or break the team. And so I think schematically, it's a better scheme for USC in terms of the talent they're going to be able to recruit. It's just going to be a matter of of whether uh, they're able to, 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 to have those guys and make those plays and, um, you know, be tough up front, you know, and not try to be a team that, like you said, is just sort of uh, slowing down the other offense and you're playing basketball on grass and it's uh, becomes, you know, who can outtire the other's defense, who can score more points. That's not what we've seen from championship teams the last decade. The championship teams are teams that can play good defense. You know, Georgia last year, had a hell of a defense. I mean, a really good defense. They don't win in the national championship. You know, that's going to be something that I think uh, uh, we're going to have to see USC develop. And, um, you know, there's still question marks as to whether you can have a, a real pass-happy offense and that type of defense. And I'm not going to go and rehash the whole thing about, you know, how your run game on offense affects your defense at the end of the day. Um, but we're going to have to see that. And I think you know, the offense and how they run the ball is going to be a big deal for USC. And I think the better they run the ball and the better run offense they have, potentially it could see at the end of the year a better run defense for USC. And, you know, Oregon is still in the Pac-12. You're still probably going to have to play them uh, perhaps at the end of the year. Um, You know, UCLA, you're going to have to play at the end of the year. They run the ball well. Notre Dame runs the ball well. The biggest teams on the the schedule, Utah – those are teams that third and three, they're running the ball and you're going to have to stop the run. Yeah. And I wasn't necessarily saying the future of this offense is a bend don't break. I just think this year, you know, it's sort of a transition year where they don't really have all the talent they need to be that shutdown defense. And they're just going to have to get by with, you know, being 
like you uh, like I said, you know, kind of a bend don't break defense. But I'm not saying that's the future for for them. Just I think 2022, that's sort of going to be what it looks like more so than what it'll look like in the future. Um, the last question, and I'm like, we're both hot in our respective me in the studio, you wherever you are. So. I'm Gerard. in a garage, Chris. I'm actually in a garage right now. Yeah, you're in a sauna. You're in a sauna at this point. So I'm it trying to wrap degrees. this up. Yes, I'm trying to wrap this up. But the real Robert Torres wants to ask you specifically what's wrong with Menudo, goddammit. I added the goddammit. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Menudo. Listen, okay, I'm not even one of those uh, sort of snobby, you can't eat Menudo out of a can person. I, I mean, I'll have Juanitas if it hits the spot. So... Um, there's nothing wrong with menudo as a meal. I love it. I had it just uh, at the end of last week. Um, you know, you put your cilantro in it, you put your onion, you get your lemon. I mean, I love it. I eat it all the time. My mom hates it. She hates the smell of it even, but she's, you know, not Mexican. Um, but as a name for us, I don't like menudo. I did not like the boy band menudo and I do not like us to Embrace the moniker of Menudo, just like I don't like Colin Cowherd. Colin, if you're listening right now, stay away from Uncle Colin. You don't want to be referred to as an uncle in recruiting circles. It's not used as a term of endearment. So I say no Menudo, no Uncle Colin. And that comes from the unofficial God Uncle podcast here at uh, USFootball.com. The God Uncle is a shady guy. He's the guy that works in the shadows. He's the, the guy God Uncle that, Collective, if you will. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, Uncle Phil is not really used as an eternal endearment for most people. Uh, you know, I don't think they actually, I mean, maybe they do refer to him as Uncle Philip in Oregon. But, uh, but he's also a billionaire that's given billions of dollars probably to the university. Um, just in general, uh, yeah, I think the Uncle moniker is uh, low-key weird. I think we uh, kind of stay away from that one uh, if we can. And okay. we stay away from Menudo, Chris, oh, or Cilantro okay. Boys. I don't think any of these hit the spot, okay? Look, I'm a, I'm a big Cilantro Boy believer, so I'm just going to stick with that on my own time. Uh, but Hurricane, that wraps us up. Uh, I think we had a good, sh- a good show. You know, we had some good news to talk about, a little bad news to talk about, uh, some updates. Uh, some technical some, difficulties. Some technical difficulties. People got some uh, recruiting throwback from you, which I know they're going to love. And we got some listener questions in. So I think overall we hit all our marks uh, for this episode. So thank you for listening. If you made it this far, this is another, I'm going to say, at least two, hour, two hours and 30-minute podcast. So another one, another lengthy one. So thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Chris. That's Gerard Hurricane. He's going to go jump in some AC. I'm going to edit this bad boy. Uh, but we will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits. That leopard sucks! <laughs> <laughs>